Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Brilliant. There you go. Hey, brilliant. Good job, Jackie. Hey, good job, Jackie. Didn't fall off the cliff. We always fall off the cliff. We didn't fall off the cliff. Hey, kids, welcome to Just a Game. Uh, I would be me. Uh, You would be you. Uh, Welcome to the program. Uh, It is an inclusive program. Everybody is welcome here. And we are proudly broadcasting uh, from Treaty 7 territory. And that is somewhat important and significant today because it is National Indigenous People Day. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that later on, uh, but holy cow, uh, a lot going on in the old hockey world, or at least the potential for a lot going on in the old hockey world. If you like rumors, if you like gossip, yes, uh, but actual concrete, uh, stuff, uh, not yet. It's coming. It's coming. I have it on good authority. It's coming. Uh, the class, the hall of fame class will be introduced here in the next little while by the Hockey Hall of Fame. Of course, Lanny McDonald, friend of the program, uh, is a huge part of that. And there was a picture just a little while ago of him making those calls. And, um, you know, maybe later on we can retell the story about when Jerome McGinley got the call from Lanny and thought it was a joke. Anyway, uh, this is a great day for a lot of people. Uh, we are a little over a week away from the draft, but not the draft activities. Uh, the awards are not that far away in the National Hockey League. All of that taking place in a little town called Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, you remember Nashville, don't you? 20 years ago when you were all poo-pooing it, saying, why is it in the NHL? Why is there a team in Nashville? Why, why, why? And now we all want to be there. And I am uh, in, in incredibly jealous. I have no problem. I am, I am old enough to understand my shortcomings. Jealousy is one of them. I will not be there, but we have uh, sent our best people there. And we will be talking about that, or we're going to send our best people. They're not to, to suggest that we sent them there two weeks early would be a you know a gross mismanagement of funds. Uh, but that's not what we're doing. But we will send them uh, there next week when it's important. Um, I wanted. I don't normally do this. Uh, this is a unique opportunity for this show. Just a game with yours truly. Uh, I came in today, and there was food here. Normally, the barn burner guys um, leave, sure, the boxes and the empties, but never the food. Um, but there was a little bit of food today. So just a shout out to Connie and John's Pizza here in Marta Loop. Uh, my understanding is, knocked on the door, said, we just want to be good neighbors. Here, try our pizza. It's thin crust and it's freaking delicious. Um, 
I'll say this. I, I don't know why I don't believe that I've ever gone on any broadcast medium, be it print, television, or radio, and ever talked about the uh, tanginess of the sauce. But this had a very tangy sauce, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So, Connie, not that Connie, by the way. I checked that because it would be a little disappointing to me if the new general manager of the Calgary Flames was spending his time making pizza pies. Right? And that's how old I am. I just refer to them as pizza pies. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, you might want to stay a safe distance away from your speaker today. I am coming off a cold. I certainly don't want to get anybody sick. Uh, a little later on, uh, we'll introduce you to a new friend of the program, uh, Dr. Tyler White, scheduled to join us. Uh, but right away, let's bring on our first guest brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 70, can you believe it? 76 years. I'm pretty sure by the time the snow flies, it's going to be 77, right in that range. Uh, one location open for the summer, but it's worth your time and effort. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. Go, dream, see what is coming, see what is there, see what you could be doing in October, November, December when the snow starts to fly. It is currently not flying. It, well, it was flying, I got to be honest with you, in Jasper, up in Hinton area. Uh, I believe Banff and Kananaskis had uh, warnings as well. Oh, and in case you missed it, 10-year anniversary of the flood. Um, we'll get into that later, but right now I'm just telling you about Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. You know him, you love him as the managing editor of Flames Nation. He is one of the aforementioned geniuses that we are sending to Nashville. Uh, we are sending all of our top people. I saw you smile when I said that before. Right? We're sending all of our top people to Nashville. Uh, Ryan Pike joins us. How are you? Good. I'm, uh, it's, this is the, as, as, uh, someone who like loves, just picking apart roster construction decisions. <laughs> this is the time of year that's really exciting to, it is. to be doing this because, like, you you know, we it's a new GM, so like all of our you know this is this is we're, we're in a way behaving without a net here because so you know we, we have no sample size for Craig Conroy as a as a, a manager as a guy running a draft. I mean, he's been involved in the decisions for the yeah. last decade it's not like they go shut up conroy go sit in the corner they've been listening to him he's been yeah. very much involved in especially the the draft side he's been one of their you know if they if they want to get some eyes on somebody they think is pretty special they send him so they definitely value his opinion prior to this point but now he's you know the buck stops with him so the guy on the phone the guy saying make that pick make that trade sign that guy that's Craig Conroy. We have yep. no sample size for him as the the final say, and it, that makes it kind of exciting because you know, for better or for worse, I think since since maybe that first summer, the the summer of 2015, where Bradley Living really put his his hooks into the team and really started kneading the dough and morphing it into what he wanted it to be, yep. I, I think it's safe to say we've had a pretty decent handle on sort of what to expect from him. Uh, but with Craig, I mean, you know, we, we know that Craig feels differently about a lot of different things than, than Brad does, but I think philosophically they, they sort of believe in a lot of the s similar things, but you know, just, just what, what kind of, what kind of stamp are we going to see put on this, you know, historically, like, you know, Rob, you remember, like there's been, oh. you know, the uh, 2000, uh, you know, uh, the first draft for, for, for Todd, for, for Craig Button, uh, but Craig wasn't allowed to be at the table, so he couldn't really do much of anything beyond make a few trades. And they were, you know, they were not bad trades, but there was also an expansion draft to deal with then. So 2001 was really, you know, Craig Button's first real year of being able to put his teeth into it. Uh, the 2011 draft, the first one for uh, for 
Jay Feaster. I think sneakily one of the better drafts in franchise history because everybody they picked went to the NHL. One of them, their seventh rounder just won a Stanley Cup. Yep. Uh, Laurent Brassois. Yep. Yep. Uh, in 2015, the, the first. But re- can I stop you there? 2011, you remember, too, John Weisbrod was not allowed to be at the draft table because he had just been hired away. He was, from the he was still the table in Boston. I think he, they'd, he'd interviewed That's and right. he said, OK, you're finishing up July 1. You'll come on over. Yep. Uh, but, you know, he was, you know, I believe at the time. Yeah, he was the, the head of, uh, of college scouting for the yep. Bruins. Yep. And, you know, he he could wander over after the draft but you know the, the imagine if you're you're sitting at that table going, when they you see the they get at 104th uh some small kid uh-huh. from from Gloucester prep who played in the USHL for a year you know some some you know shrimpy kid who ends up scoring like a point a game for the better part of a decade i mean you know those are the kind of things i mean you know Brian Burke always joked about this you know you you don't judge drafts by you know by stopwatches you got to use calendars and yeah. you know in retrospect i mean 12 years on that 2011 draft class mwah. but sven well, Berge, the first didn't really turn into much of yeah anything, so yeah he didn't he could have but, but but you know what's funny about that and and i'm the old guy and and i i hope you don't take this the wrong way because i'm pretty can sure i you, can uh, i interject momentarily yes breaking news guess who yeah. just got inducted into the hockey hall of fame mike vernon mike vernon yay fantastic so now i get to write something about the hall of fame okay i'm a big mike vernon guy sorry that no, not to derail, I, I, derail I, your train of thought here but i, I think am, that's pretty damn cool that is really awesome there's vernie and i just saw lundquist name so we'll get them all caught up here but i think it is i think it's um i i, I just and i'll give you my rationale ryan let's go down that path since we brought it up we'll come back to the draft it's not going anywhere um, what I liked about Vernon or what I liked about his candidacy is two Stanley cups in two different eras. Con Smythe could have won the Con Smythe in both of those eras as well. Won it with Detroit. So he won it in the latter one, but he started in the stand-up era and finished in the butterfly era and was successful in both eras and was by today's standard, a smallish goalie. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great story and I think it's so well-deserved. So I'm really happy for him. Yeah, I'm. I you know I I grew up here in the '90s. I'm a Calgary kid. Uh, I you know the the my formative years until he became a Detroit Red Wing uh, were spent uh, in Section J two watching Mike Vernon play some pretty damn good hockey. And you know, like you said, I mean, he was yep. he he his career sort of straddled the dead puck era. Like he had he was he was successful in the '80s when pads weren't really a thing and defense wasn't really a thing and you know your defense were basically just your scores that played further back mm-hmm. uh paul reinhardt style yep uh and then as the game changed he was able to sort of adapt his style and be successful so i mean you know it's with goaltenders you never really know because you know with with the the hall of fame process it's it's what's a it's what 18 people can convince themselves is important in any given year. And for the yeah. most part, I think they get it right. And, you know, there's occasional ones where you go, you can sort of, you know, squint and go, oh, I guess. But I think Vernon's such an easy one to be enthusiastic about because he was so important to two really important areas and two really important franchises in the league. What's your, what's your go-to for Hall of Fame? This is, this is what I've always, you know, one of them's really simple and one of them's kind of uh, objective or subjective. Um, I feel like if that person became the adjective to describe other players, he's Mike Vernon like, and Mike Vernon Hall yeah. of Famer doesn't roll off the end of the tongue, right? That's I know so simple, but um, you know, uh, and I love the man, Eric Goddard Hall of Famer. No, uh, <laughs> but 
you know what I mean? Mike Vernon Hall of Famer. Those, and I know it's not a sophisticated system and people do it a better job, but I think you could look at goalies and go, he's very much like Mike Vernon plays like Mike, like he becomes that descriptor. Yeah. And you know, he was, he was one of those sort of smaller battling types of goalies where, yeah. you know, he, you know, we always, we always joke with this and, you know, Rob having played the position, I know you have strong feelings on this. I own equipment. Let's, let's be very careful about how we describe that. <laughs> that's, I a own real, equipment. That's, a, that's a good way of phrasing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, having never played the position <laughs> with me, like, you know, there was the, there's, there's always that, there was that trend. And I think we're sort of seeing mm-hmm. it continue in the modern era of, big goalies and the guys they play that position by being big, not by yep. being technically sound. And yep. I, the biggest compliment I can play Vernon as a non goaltender is a, he always seemed like he was in the right position and B he never seemed like he was out of position. Like he was always like, he could battle, he could stay yep. in games. Like he could make saves that you go, I have no idea how he made those saves. And you know, if we're being, if we're being homers here, I mean, he, I would like Mike, you know, Mika Kiprasov is, flat out the best goaltender the organization ever had i think so yep but i think mike fernan was the goaltender of the best teams they ever had if you look you know he he, you know he got the starting job from from reggie lemelin as a call-up uh there was that i think in 85 86 they brought him up mid-season and he you know they had that first round series i think it was against winnipeg and they they used vernon because vernon had a better regular season record against the jets because you know lemelin just couldn't stop a beach ball for some reason against the jets for some reason even though he was an exceptional goalie enough everywhere else uh so they went with vernon in the playoffs and vernon just went nuts that first round and they ended up going to the Stanley Cup final that year. And then you couldn't get him out of the damn crease. And, you know, he was in the crease until they felt they needed to make room for Trevor kid in 96. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I could, you know, they had, they had some young guys they wanted to bring up, you know, uh, there was a lot of economic reasons where, you know, we saw, you know, so many players in the nineties, especially in the first half of the nineties when the oil price crashed and the Canadian mm-hmm. dollar crashed and mm-hmm. all these American teams kept spending and spending and spending. I mean, the, the flame simply couldn't pay what these guys quite frankly deserved to be paid. It was, the, it was a, a thing that we saw throughout the entire decade. I mean, you know, Joel Otto left because, you know, the money, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys like that. McKinnis, Suter, you know, the list goes on ending with flurry in 99. And it didn't, it wasn't really until, you know, the the salary cap got put in in 05 that the, yes like we, we i we could have a depressing conversation about this later on i don't think people we, appreciate how close the team was to relocating thank you you just during said the I, during yep. the late 90s and early aughts i agree with that and peter marr talks about that and eric dehatchuk talks about that i think we have this glossified uh sense of history now because of the of the salary cap but that whole era of the Canadian Equalization Fund was a, an attempt by the guy that everybody hates, Gary Bettman, to keep the teams in Canada. And and uh, Harley Hotchkiss. Was oh, he was absolutely as the but, chairman but, of the Board of Governors. Absolutely. You, you, unfortunately, it was a it was a fight at the board level for much of the '90s knots for yeah. you know these, these owners of small market Canadian teams to convince their large market counterparts to do any kind of revenue sharing. Right. And then right. finally they got convinced and ended up working out for everyone. And I think in retrospect, it seems like such a smart thing to be doing, but it was such a fight and such an uphill battle uh, because if, you know, if you're rich and you can spend whatever you want, you don't want to be told to give your money to poor teams. You don't want to be told not to spend. Correct. So, I mean, yeah, it's a, uh, but that's, that's a long way of saying Harley Hotchkiss hockey hall of famer as a builder, well-deserved. And you know, it's, it's really, it's very cool to sort of see so many of those 
guys from the 89 team be enshrined because, you know, in, until there's another parade, I think that that team is always going to have a really special place in this community's heart. But also, I mean, you know, it's, uh, until there's a, until there's a parade, you know, they're the only big four team that we have that have, you know, had that kind of success. So, but I would also add something that makes that group special too, to this day. And it's, you know, more in my wheelhouse, I suppose, but they're the bulk of them are that are still here are very active, right? My, like, Mike Vernon's part of the Flames alumni. He's, you know, he's he's doing stuff in the city on behalf of the Flames still now. And that 89 team is so well represented and still in the community. I you don't see that very many places, but you see it here. And um I just I, I think it's awesome. Um I can't wait. I still haven't seen have you seen the full, the uh, full from, slate? from our pal Frank Cervelli, the full list, it's goalie yes. heavy. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist, Tom Barrasso, Pierre Turgeon, Mike Vernon, uh, women's hockey legend Carolyn Ouellette, and uh, the builders this year are Ken Hitchcock and Pierre Lacroix. Well, well, Pierre, I get Ken Hitchcock. Okay, Kenny, sure. I like the group. Um, disappointed that Mo Gilney's not there, I won't lie. Um, yeah, I mean. But I think, but you know what, Eric DeHatchuk was talking about this, and it was something that you said um, right off the top that needs to be, kind of people need to be reminded about this is that you have to have 75% of the vote in the room, but the room changes, right? So, well, well, why today? Well, because the room that it was decided in today agreed with it. So it's not the same, like Mogilny's going to get there. I'm convinced of that. I thought it would be this year. Pierre Turgeon. Yeah, he was a, he was a good player. Tom Barrasso is sneaky. Like I did you know, multiple a, Stanley cup, Tom Barrasso. Right. But he was also, I believe, correct me on this one, the last high school age or high school hockey player goalie anyway, to jump from high school to the NHL. Back me I up on right. that one. I, I believe I am on that one. Right. I think you're right. And he was an, an American, which was, you know, at that time he was ahead of um, uh, Mike Richter and, and that next wave of American goalies. Um, yeah, I, I like this group. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's. I think the challenge is, especially in the expansion era, I mean, there's so many damn good players coming out nowadays. I mean, you know, you know, Mika Kiprasov's eligible. And, you know, he, he seems like someone who might get in eventually. But, you know, it's one of those things where everybody in that room brings in a name or two, and then they have a conversation about it. And the guys who tend to get the most traction in the conversation are the ones that get in. But it's not, you know, I guarantee you, they've talked about Mike Vernon before. Different combinations of people oh, talked absolute, about Mike Vernon before. Absolutely. And this was the have. year they went, Ab- we're doing Mike Vernon. But but to me, it also s- seems like that this room is more goalie friendly, right? Because it, I, it's not often you get two goalies in the same year, let alone get three goalies. And and I, I'm not going to do this because I, I'm going to screw myself, but I'd, I'm thinking I don't remember a year in which there were three goalies, right? In the I can't same remember. Class. I, I got I got to look at the list. Yeah, when I mean, I, when I write something on Vernon. I got to. Then you look go back. Well, then but. put that in there. As as the big dummy I was on the podcast with said, that's how I would start it. Um, you, feel free to use that. Uh, no, I, I listen. Pierre Turgeon is another guy that I think uh, played in an era with some bigger names that overshadowed his accomplishments, uh, but was a very effective hockey player. Pierre Turgeon. Hall of Famer? Yeah. Do I, have I compared players to Pierre Turgeon? Sure, I have. Um, and Willette deserves to be there. Hitchcock deserves there. And, I'm, and I'm still, Eric Lacroix for what he did with the abs, right? This, this comes up every year, and I think rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm not sure. Like, I, I don't like the cap of two women per year. I just think, especially with... Oh, it's silly. Like, it's, especially, it's, like, there's so many fantastic female players that are... The case of, like, Cassie Campbell-Pascal is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I know she's on the committee, and it'll be kind of and she will to and she will make be. herself. But it's kind of like, you know, there's for, for this current generation, I don't mean to make Cassie sound old. Uh, but for this current generation of players, like the PHPWA and the PHF era of players, she was so important to so many young hockey players, regardless of gender, growing up, who saw those powerhouse Canadian international teams, you know. And remains – and does she not remain Hockey Canada's most successful captain? I don't know that for a fact, but it sounds right. She was for the and, longest and, time, and I'm and I'm sure like there's there's plenty. She has plenty of counterparts with USA Hockey and oh, yeah. in, in yeah, European yeah. Hockey that just so many you know exceptionally <laughs> strong female candidates that just aren't in because in part I think because of the cap. So, uh, I but I, I I gotta tell you, dude, I was I hosted an event in this city, and I'm not gonna say with who, and I'm not gonna name names, um, but it was just prior to the establishment of putting women in the hall of fame. Like it, it wasn't happening. And I sat up there with some pretty prestigious names globally in the game. And uh, one European and one Canadian said, absolutely. And one prominent Canadian said, I don't think so. Um, and that's not two decades ago. So we're, we're, we're still dealing with some old time thinking. And I agree with you. I, and, and the other part of this that I feel like compelled to say every time it's not the NHL hall of fame. It is the hockey hall of fame. Right. Well, you know, think of it like Sergei Makarov, you know, didn't play a ton in the NHL. He was a Hall of Famer before he put on a flame sweater. Ex thank you. Exactly. That was just icing on the cake. Right. Yeah. I Ima imagine how much how much fun it must have been for Cliff Fletcher to to land a guy who was basically already in the Hall of Fame before so let, he even came over. That, let that me ask you. Let me ask you. Yeah. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. Roman Chervenka, best player not in the NHL. Holy cow. He's scared of his own shadow. Or Sergey Makarov. To your point, already a Hall of Famer before he even came over here. It's two different <laughs> two different stories. Um. Let me ask you this one, because I'm not even sure where I land on it. Paul Henderson. <sighs> here's okay. Here's where I stand on it. So Makarov had such a body of work, yeah. like a ginormous, stupendous, yeah. like I'd say him and Tretiak and Kruta, it basically, you know, pretty much the entire Soviet hockey team and so many others who played internationally. Like there's so many guys that have a body of work outside the NHL that when you induct them, you can say, well, it's not the NHL Hall of Fame. It's the Hockey Hall of Fame. So when when Makarov got in, I went, that makes a lot of sense. He's Sergey Goddamn Makarov. Uh, Paul Henderson <laughs> himself has said, made Paul Henderson doesn't think Paul Henderson has the body of work outside of that goal in '72 to get into to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame as a player. It. it I'm not inclined to argue with Paul Henderson. No, no. But would you be okay if I started a dialogue about because you just said why are we limiting the women? Right. I think, I think the women should have um, more opportunity. Builders are interesting to me. Um, I think of, and I know they have their own, but it's the same as the broadcasters. And we talked about this with Eric last week, Peter Marr has a plaque at the hall of fame, but he is not an honored member. 
Yeah, he's been honored by the Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, I believe exactly. that's the, the NHL Broadcast Association uh, nominates folks for the, uh, the Foster Hewitt Award. Uh, right. The PHWA nominates some, someone every year for the, uh, the uh, Elmer Ferguson Award. That's right. Um, but, they, but they are not honored members. They're honored by. And it's an important distinction. Bill Hay always corrected me on that. Always corrected me on that. That it's a distinction. I believe well, that it's it's a, it's the inducted into the Hall of Fame, honored by the Hall of Fame. Correct. And then I, I believe if you go to the Hall of Fame, the trainers, the uh, and I, I apologize, I should know their association, but the trainers association, uh, yeah. farm Bear, or farm. Bearcat Mary's in there, right? But they're not honored members, but they're there. Yeah. And I think the same thing with officials. Like I think you know we we need to do more to popularize and and honor people who have dedicated their life to the sport, which is a long way for me getting to, should there be some recognition for moments? Because if I would think a, so. Right. Would, and then Paul this, Anderson, this is, right. This is an apples and oranges thing, but you yeah. know, UFC was just uh, in Vancouver. UFC's hall of fame has uh, sort of, they have sort of, uh, they honor fights like, yes. you know, key sure. fights. Yeah. And so I think if the idea is that you're trying to like, maybe, maybe they're not enshrined the same way that, you know, builders or players are, but having something, especially if the idea is the hockey hall of fame is the idea that if, if you took someone with amnesia, like they just, you know, came, mm-hmm. came out of a coma and said, what is mm-hmm. this hockey thing? You should be able to tour them to the Hockey Hall of Fame and they should be able to understand what's important to the sport and why. Like sort mm-hmm. of get a gist of its history. Like it yep. should be at its core sort of the Smithsonian of hockey. And yep. it's pretty close to that. You know, I think they do 95 of it, you know, really well. I think that 5% is just sort of figuring out a way but, to, if there's things that should be enshrined, you know, yeah. like Paul Henderson, like right. rivalries, I mean, Kimlin and Crosby are already, yeah, yeah. already going to be Hall of Famers. But, you know, the, the goal in, in 2010. Abso- you know. Absolutely. I think or and rivalries. I mean, the, the Islanders, Rangers, the Oilers, the Flames and, and, and just or series or game or whatever. I think we need to be a little bit more open minded about it. That's not that's not detracting from the people who have their name called. That remains the ultimate honor. Right. And the ultimate, ultimate honor is first ballot. And to me, it's just different degrees of it. But I, I, I like the UFC idea. I, I think because Paul Henderson means as much to this country as maybe any of those Hall of Famers. Yeah, and right. Correct me, is he is he part of the Order of Canada? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and, and, and Walk Canada of Fame. I believe Walk of Fame. And all, I, again, the only one, and it, it's a constant debate: is should he be in the Hall of Fame? And it's the Hockey Hall of Fame. So, you know, he should at least be considered. And I think he has been considered. Um, But again, it's getting 75% of that room to go, you know, the whole, the body of work. That moment is so special, so important. It should have something in the Hall of Fame. Here's, here's a thing that, that I'm thinking about though. So like, you know, by the way, this is the clip we use today, Jack, by this is the perfect clip. here. You you mentioned, you mentioned sort of the, the change of the composition of the selection committee over time. Yes. Um, The thing that I'm curious about is like, obviously I think, you know, the more of your contemporaries, you know, as a player, like say, you know, Ron Francis is on the selection committee. He played against uh, Mike Vern his entire career. David was on the selection committee, Joe Sack and so on. So, so many of these guys played with them Mm -hmm. and now we're going to probably the next, 15 years as as people sort of cycling out and we get sort of the younger cohort in it'll mm-hmm. be people like people who grew up watching so and so and such and such here's my here's the thing that that i'm not sure how it's going to go 
for my generation, you know, people in their twenties and thirties now, 2010 was the big international moment. 72 doesn't register for me as much because I wasn't Ab- alive. Absolutely. I understand that. And I yep. think that'll, that is the thing I'm really curious about because, you know, we're, once you get, once you get into, you know, things that matter to, to groups of people, yeah. there's some subjectivity because if you change the competition of the group. It means different things. That's no 96. Here we are talking about the greatest Canadian moment. You talk to Conroy, you talk to Ronick, you talk to Americans. That 96 World Cup team's important. Right, yeah. the the the, the what you call the, uh, the 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 eighty team at, at at Lake Placid, that was they got the crap kicked out of them by the Russians in Madison Square Gardens. Like yeah. it it was a it was a rocky story. They weren't the best well, team. Yeah, like 96, miracle, miracle on ice does not mean a hoot to Canadians. No. But you know the the Flames drafted Jim Craig, and Jim Craig was a sure. you know people people in Atlanta yeah. were legitimately jazzed. That but Jim Craig was in the organization. I remember talking to Mitch Wall, who the Flames drafted in the second round back in 2008. The, the pride of Seal Beach, California. Right. But he talked about what 96 meant to him. Right. And there's a lot of American kids because it was a it was they didn't beat Canada in one game. They beat them in a series. Now, it wasn't a long series, but they beat them. Right. Yeah. So it's important to your point. Finland and Sweden, like. You know, one of the indelible moments in my mind, I believe it was 2010, was it not? The Finns winning the bronze and celebrating like there was no tomorrow? I believe so. Right? I'll go you one better. Does the Scottish Wayne Gretzky, Tony Hand, deserve to be in the Hall of Fame or honored at some point in the Hall of Fame? Go back and look what he did in his league, right? Whether we like it or not, it's a recognized league. And he yeah. did get a chance and, in North America. Didn't and, and I think if, if we're banging the, it's not the North American hall of fame drum. Yeah. I mean, we just saw an incredible moment for Latvia at the worlds. Oh, we've absolutely. Seen, we've seen, you know, uh, Slovakia. so yeah, I, I think, I think it's a really cool idea. My only thought would be, you got to figure out who you're, who's, whose moments are you putting in? How do you decide which moments? Because I think I don't think you'd have trouble. I, you you brought up a really good point, though. Great yeah, we'll moments think. every year, yeah. and like you go if, if you grab ten Europeans, ten European hockey fans, depending on what country they're from, you could get completely different moments. Do you want a Do you want a moment, or do you want a special award? You know what I mean? Well, the Hall of Fame has a special award. So this year we're going to give the special award to Paul Henderson because of the goal and the impact it's had on the country. Next year we're going to give it to Latvia. They, they do that with the Oscars. They have the uh, they have honorary Oscars they give. Right. It's, bas- it's basically the well, we don't have anything in particular that we want to honor you for, but the committee decided that you're awesome, and we just we think you've done enough for the Life- lifetime achievement. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if, for, you know, if there's key teams, key people, you know, people involved in key moments, I think the idea of, you know, if the idea is you really want to, you know, bang the drum for the sport of hockey worldwide, I think, mm. and, you know, think, think about this, like, you know, we, we, every year, like as someone who didn't really watch a lot of women's hockey until recently, yep. the easiest way for me to understand the history of women's hockey was reading a lot of the really great work that was done about these earlier inductees uh, because that way I can understand, okay, why is this person important? Why are they, you know, why are they being held to the same, you know, level as these other hall of famers? And I think you could do a lot for the awareness of international hockey, especially, you know, in, in countries that are just emerging as hockey powers, because, you know, everyone, everyone knows the Canadian hockey story. Everyone knows the American hockey story. Cause we're, you know, we're so loud about it, you know, yeah. 
And I mean, rightfully so, because, you know, these are really cool moments for celebrating. But I mean, you know, getting an idea of like, okay, what's what's the miracle on ice for Swedish hockey? What's the miracle on ice for Latvian hockey? What's the miracle on ice for some of these, you know, some of these some countries that are, you know, have never played in the, you know, the, the championship level of these international tournaments, you know, like uh, case in point, Japan, I believe in the 98 Olympics, uh, the, the Japanese hockey team. I believe it's either the men's or women's hockey team. I, I apologize if I get the detail wrong, but they scored one goal in the tournament, but their first goal, it was their first goal they'd ever scored at the Olympics. They'd never yep. been to the Olympics before. And it was, yep. you know, it was a gigantic moment for, for that country's sporting history. So well, I I'm, would, I'm all over this. Sounds like a really fun idea. Well, I, and, and I would, to your point about take it away. Not, not that there's anything wrong with this voting group, but create an, a voting group that can properly vet this stuff. Right. doesn't have to be this group. This group can take care of the honored inductees, but create a group that could, you know, do a good job with international voices. I believe the the broadcast association has their own process for the uh, for the Foster Hewitt, for the the Elmer Ferguson. The PHWA has an internal committee and people every year where the membership is asked, hey, guys, you know, send us your pitches, send us send us a blurb. Sell us, you know, nominate someone, sell us on person X for this award. And every year the call goes out and every year they get a really good cross section of of historical figures from, you know, both, you know, current and, you know, people who aren't really active as much anymore. And it's so cool. Again, it's so cool sort of learning that that type of history from all these markets because you get sort of uh, you get a really cool snapshot of who were the great storytellers in these markets and what we, we could we could flip this on you know having having a group find the great stories what's your favorite part thing. of the hall of, what's your favorite part of the hall of fame oh god this is the uh, i when i go there i yeah. love the vault because of the yeah the no it's, like, fair, fair enough but i love the international part where you go down here's israel's jersey here's the yeah. philippines jersey here's turkey's ju- jersey like we you know it doesn't matter it, it, it they're the they're canada 10 years ago in fifa that's what they are yeah. right you know, like, like I'm old enough to remember when Switzerland was an afterthought. Switzerland damn near won the world championships this year. Yeah, so right? I remember Switzerland and Germany used to be punching bags every year. Right. England is or Britain is now starting to get themselves back up. Right. You know, France was there for a while and, and stuff like that. I love the international part of the, the Hall of Fame. It's it's fun. Again, we're not taking anything away. Like today is about Mike Vernon and Lundquist and and those guys. They absolutely should have this day. And last week, Dan Rusinowski found, found out he was, you know, winning the broadcaster of the year and Elmer Ferguson Award. There's no reason they have to come out and take anybody's thunder away, but be a little bit more inclusive and be a little bit. You know, you want to grow the game, then grow then you know, give people a reason to, you know, to feel like they're included, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's... Uh, Solve the say, problem I'll again, say this. Ryan. I'll, say, I'll say this. If anyone has never been to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto, go. Oh, because yeah. They, they, you know, the, the spoiler, there's multiple versions of the Stanley Cup, uh, but there's always a Stanley Cup at the Hall of Fame. And it, the coolest thing is just being able to sort of just go around and sort of look at the different names. You can go and find your favorite players, your favorite teams. You can see the awkward blank spot that says season not played for 2004-05. I mean, as a historical I, document, yeah. the Stanley, I don't think there's anything better in the no, sport than the Stanley Cup. And I always thought it was cool. Like, you know, when I was, when I was broadcasting games, I got so many little nuggets in a trip into Toronto. Like I went in there uh, after, the year after or the year he, he, but they had TJ Brody's gloves from the American Hockey League All-Star game. Like TJ Brody's great player. He's not an, a Hall of Famer, but he gets that moment. I was with Mike Commodore last week. I asked him, where's your white, 
white uh, bathrobe from Carolina's Stanley Cup victory. Phil grabbed it. The, the keeper of the cup just looked at Kami at a Chris at a summer Stanley Cup party. So, saw the thing crumpled up in the front seat. What are you doing with it? I don't know. Can I take it to the Hall of Fame? That's how Kami's uh, what, the 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 actual green hard hat from 2004 with the numbers from the, the it's still the, there. Yeah. Right. But there it is. Right. And so it is if you've never been, it, it, I, I just think it's a magical place. I love the sport anyway, but there's so many things for so many people in there. And and Kelly Massey's welcome because you and I have just done a good half hour promoting the hell out of that venue. But it's worth it. That's it's a great day. Like it's this is a fun day. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's. It's, you know, these are people who, you know, they've, uh, they spend a lot of time. I mean, you know, Kelly and the staff at the hall, like they, they work so hard. Uh, and, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, when you're create curating that type of uh, a setting and you're, you know, you're, you put in, you know, I, I, you know, we, as much as we want to quibble, like, I don't love the secret ballot of it. That's the one thing I don't like the Hall of Fame. Well, can you explain that to me? Because I grew up with secret ballots, so I'm fine with secret ballots. But I know baseball in particular it became the one where we have to print the ballot and everybody. And then we we get to vet the ballot. I'm OK with secret ballots. I don't want to have to justify everything. And, and I think that's the thing, because they don't want they basically don't want to have to have names get out and then go, oh, yeah, we didn't think person X was good enough. Like, you know, it's. When, when you're in the conversation for the Hall of Fame, I think being considered is still a pretty big honor, but I can see why the optics of it were things they wouldn't like. But, you know, the baseball, the baseball association does, uh, there's a public ballot for theirs. I mean, the PHWA, yeah. we moved to a, pu- a public ballot, I forget how many years ago for the awards. And I mean, for the awards, I mean, people are getting money and bonuses off that. So I can, I can understand the logic behind, you know, wanting to have some transparency for things that actually impact what kind of money people make. But I, I mean, just, don't you think it's just because everybody wants to be mad? Like, it, you I mean, kind it, of, it, you I mean, feel, it, you feel, you're fueling you, that anger department. You contribute to, you, you get a bit more of a conversation out of it. So I, I, I in full disclosure, I, I voted on the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame for four or five years and was sat in on those and, and went through the process. And, you know, it's a daunting task when you're given submissions and, and names are rolling over and things like that. And, and you have these great conversations and then you, you know, you're committed to making a decision. And then eight months later, you go there and you're, you're probably, you know, well, why did this happen or why did that happen? And you kind of forget those conversations too, right? So I, I, I can live on either side of the street. I got a question for you. Yeah. When is when is the first analytics builder put in? And who would that be? <sighs> who would that be? I mean, I go with I mean, Goldman, we, but he's a friend of mine. Could now. we go Jim Corsi? The goalie? The former oiler Jim Corsi? former goalie coach they Buffalo? named the stat after him yeah but i mean no, like I, I, but it's impossible I would say, absolutely uh, I would that's say, why i'm asking i think i think it'll start once you get more and more i think once we have like a quote-unquote analytics gm winning the stanley cup then i think we'll have more of a conversation about it but i mean you know i i think it's coming i think it'll take a while though but i, I think, think it's coming two, i think it's two decades away yeah i think that's probably fair right if you if you think about 2003 was two decades ago so, you know, I mean, you know, considering that, you know, 20, 30, 25 years ago, like we thought goalie coaches were like snake handlers. Like <laughs> it was just, you know, I, I remember I was, talking David Cliff, I was talking to Cliff Fletcher about this and, you know, the, they didn't like their first full, like they got, they had Al Arbor briefly as a, as a, as a pro scout, but like initially, you know, when the, 
when they got an assistant coach for Boom Boom Jeffrey on in yep. the 70s, it was heresy. No one was doing, yep. you know, I can't believe you have an assistant coach. I can't believe you have a video coach. I yep. can't believe you have a goalie coach. I can't believe you're doing video. I can't believe you have a mental performance coach. You know, all these, all these things that every team has. And you know, travel. And, and travel, travel with. And that's what and, I mean about Marku. I remember in 2003 when the uh, announcement came out just before training camp that David Marku was hired as the full-time goalie coach and he was going to travel. Bef- before that, wasn't it uh, Glenn Hall? But he was sort of a consultant. He was just he just watched uh, the games and sort I of send I thought notes. it was Ken Raggett. I think you're right about Glenn Hall. You're absolutely right about I, Glenn right, Hall. Glenn Hall was before Ken Raggett, I think. Yeah, but Raggett was, I don't think, you know, he wasn't traveling. Nobody was traveling. To your yeah. point, how can you have an assistant coach? And you want to you want to have a lot of fun? Here's one. You can have this one for free. Um, you want to make some people really angry, like beehive angry? Uh, go on your radio show and say we should ban assistant coaches and have more mistakes and more fun. Uh, assistant coaches <laughs> don't like that when you do that. <clears throat> they really hey, don't like that. What's what's I think uh, remember remember the first couple of years of three on three overtime when no one knew what the hell was going on and yeah. it was just it was basically you put out the three guys who could skate the best and said go nuts kids yeah it yep. was just pure chaos and then the yep. coaches got I don't, <laughs> coaches we love you we're not saying anything disparaging about you as people but coaches ruined three on they three did they did because it took now them, their strategy yeah. yeah no they I remember when four on four came in ooh and then they gummed that up. And you're right. It I, took I will also say though, I will also say though, yeah. the same coaches that were ragging on for ruining three on three overtime are also the coaches that like we used to we used to not have you know four forwards in the power play. Occasionally, some teams have started doing five forwards in the power I play yeah, because it's an advantage. And I mean, it's crazy, but I guarantee you, some coach at the end of a meeting was like, "Screw it, we're doing five forwards in the power play because I want to see how people will freak out. Maybe it'll be good." And <laughs> occasionally it's good you just have to have the right five guys right yeah you do uh he is uh, ryan pike managing editor of flames nation joining us today to talk about the draft um and we started but 16th overall i think they're gonna get somebody good <laughs> maybe they'll get mike vernon uh, and again if you just if you're just well it's a podcast so why would you you know scroll to the middle and go oh this looks like a good place to start uh you know mike vernon's in um Let's talk. Okay, so the draft is coming up. You're going to join us Friday because we we really do believe things are going to happen. Let's talk a little bit about the atmosphere right now in the NHL. Um, you uh, were on top of it today. Chris Johnston from TSN and uh, and his program was on it today. Uh, we we got kind of a sense of where the cap is going. Not much this year, but holy cow! In three seasons, it could be up by as much as ten million dollars. Yeah, the uh, I believe at the at the Stanley Cup final, the uh, the commissioner mentioned that the NHL is approaching six billion dollars in hockey related revenue. They're not quite there yet, but it's around six billion. Okay. And so, you know, if there is no escrow debt, you'd be looking at a salary cap somewhere around ninety million. But because of the escrow debt, and because the NHL and the NHLPA agreed to sort of more of a staggered uh, progression of the salary cap. What we're going to see is, uh, you know, this year it'll be going to 83.5. That's an increase of $1 million from uh, the 22-23 season. Yeah. After that, the, the escrow debt will be paid off. And then the thing they're using is called, uh, it's a new thing called the lag formula, which is a fancy way of saying, instead of using, the old system was, you know, like, you know, if you, if you were, if you work for the league and I work for the players, you and I would sit down, our accountants would say, well, this is kind of where we think the revenue is going to go, maybe kind of. And then we'd look at the numbers and go, yeah, okay, sure. And then we'd set the cap based on that. Yeah. And the problem is that's where escrow came in because 
you know, the under the terms of the CBA, re- hockey related revenues have to be split 50 50. And so to ensure that uh, between fuzzy forecasting and the 50 50 scenario, you needed to have a holdback of escrow, like when you're buying yeah. a house yeah. of salary. And the problem is if you're, I don't know who let's, let's say you're, uh, you're Jonathan Huberdeau with your $10.5 million deal. You, you're not taking home 10.5 million. You're not taking home anywhere near that because under the old system, they'd hold back 18, 20, 20%, something around 20% at some years of your money. And you wouldn't get the money you were signing for mm-hmm. in actuality. So the, the big thing they took into consideration when they redid the CBA uh, during the, uh, the pandemic stoppage was the lag formula. So uh, every year escrow is capped at a very specific number. And to make sure that that doesn't screw everything up, they, instead of forecasting based on what we think revenues maybe kind of could be in some point in the future, you know, f- you know, rainbows and wishes and unicorns yep. Yep. telling us what the cap's going to be. It's well, what did we make two years ago? So they base it on two revenue from two years ago. So that's a long preamble of saying this year it's going up by a million bucks, more likely than not. Uh, and then every year for the until basically they decide to change up the formula, it's going to be a five percent increase. So that means for next the season after this one, twenty four twenty five, it'll be about eighty seven point seven million. The year after that, about ninety two million. And that's assuming that, you know, nothing crazy happens in the interim. But, you know, assuming that revenues stay, even if revenues stay flat, you're not going to see uh, the cap decrease. You're going to see the cap probably keep going up for a while because of U.S. TV deals and stuff. So, you know, you're going to, you know, it's going to be interesting. And then, you know, maybe, you know, by the, what, 25, 26 is the next one. So. Yeah conceivably the flames could be in a new building by 2026 or 2027 conceivably Ottawa could be conceivably Arizona in some way, shape or form could be. So, you know, if no, you're, if you're don't. a revenue optimist as the NHL tends to like phrase it, uh, there are things independent of uh, inflation that will keep driving revenues up potentially over the next few sure. years. So, sure. I mean, that won't be those, th- none of those things will be happening until the next CBA most likely, but you know, there's uh, there's some optimism out there. And if you're a team right now, you're probably thinking you're going to white knuckle it through this summer and yep. white knuckle it to this season. And then next season, uh, pennies from heaven, you're, you're going caps going up by about four or 5 million bucks. So potentially, if you if you just get through this season, you could do a lot of things. Yeah, and I, I think we're seeing some behavior adjustment because of that. Um, Gabrikov in in L.A. took two years, maybe banking on the fact that there'll be more money in the system in a couple of years. I think um, it's probably weighing on the minds of Lindholm and Hannafin, not not where they're signing, but just what their contracts are going to look like because they still they still have a deal for this year. What they're negotiating right now is for a deal that kicks in. A year from now, so when there's more available money. Um, to that end, some of the things that we are hearing haven't necessarily seen it play itself out, but one of the things we're hearing is a lot about buyouts. Not so much with the local hockey heroes, but almost all the other Canadian teams. Well, we've already seen Vancouver with Oliver Ekman Larson got him off the books. Edmonton, Kaylor Yakamoto, um, Blake Wheeler's name, TJ Brody. I mean, some of this is, I guess rumor and conjecture and somewhat silly are we anticipating 
seeing some more names get bought out? I mean, Zach Cassian and Nemeth are out. out I, I imagine we're, we're going to see a lot of teams, uh, you know, the buyout period ends on June 30th. So I imagine you're going to see a lot of teams go into Nashville and go to their buddies and say, hey, uh, you want Kyle Yamamoto for future considerations? And, you know, Edmonton probably be happy to just get to the cap space. A lot of teams would. And it, so I think yep. we're going to see a lot of potential moves like that. But if you're, if you're, if you're Edmonton, you know, you'd love to get them off your books entirely. Your next best thing is getting them off your books without having to take a bad asset back. Yep. So, yep. you know, with him, I think there's, uh, there's something like that probably in the works. Uh, there was a rumor that was since been debunked that TJ Brody might be a potential buyout candidate in Toronto because of, uh, I believe it's because of the structure of his cap hit. Uh, because if he got bought out because of how his salary is structured, he'd have a $0 cap hit in the first year and a $2.5 million cap hit the year afterward, which, I mean, if you can buy somebody out and not have a cap penalty, that's fantastic. Sure. Uh, I believe if the Flames some for some reason bought out Jacob Marks from this year, they'd have a negative cap hit this year because of the way his, get his money thing back? is structured. <laughs> I, but, but there's no way the league would let them do that, though. <laughs> I asked somebody, and they're like, no, it wouldn't happen. I'm like, okay. but it's the way that's built. So <laughs> it's a weird – and I'm like, yeah, how, how would you – how would the cap – math work if you got if you had someone on the books with a negative cap hit that's just weird to me but i think we're gonna see you know there's gonna be a lot of speculation and a lot of conjecture until yeah. the dominoes start falling but yeah. i think once we get everyone together in nashville and people start talking about okay you can see the whites of your eyes and go okay you want to do this trade you want to do this move you want to do this whatever if somebody says no i'm not going to help you and you're facing just a one million dollar cap bump all you can really do is say, screw it, we're buying them out. Nothing yeah. else we can do, right? Yeah. Um, back to the local heroes. Uh, let's deal with Noah Hannafin. Uh, this is be- this is one of those whispers becomes a conversation, becomes almost yelling. Um, we're now dealing with a player that is being referred to as not wanting to return. Not sure that's entirely the right <laughs> thing to say, but the context is the feeling is he won't sign a new contract. Um, your thought on on the situation that the Flames find themselves with Noah? I think he'll be moved. I think he's probably the first shoe to drop because, you know, you want to, you want to figure out, you know, what you can get for him. Maybe you can get a a pick in in the draft uh, next week. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that I imagine we'll probably hear some sort of resolution on that in the near future. Simply because, you know, if, if based on what we're hearing from uh, folks like Elliot Friedman, it sounds like Elias Lindholm, the flames aren't really putting a clock on him necessarily yet. They sort of, I think they're sort of know what he wants and they kind of know what he wants. And I, then it's just a matter of, okay, let's figure out how this is all going to work. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if, if you're, if you're Hannafin or if you're, if you're Lindholm, you probably want to see what the flames can get for Noah Hannafin. Cause if, if the idea is like, okay, Oh, you got something really good for, for Noah. Great. Where do I sign? If you're like, ah, I don't know. It looks like you got a bunch of draft picks and prospects I've ever heard of. Maybe, maybe I'm not as hot on that idea. So I think uh, there's, I, the way I describe it is it, fe- it feels like we're watching one of those uh, one of those fancy robots drop dominoes on a floor, and it, right now it just looks like kind of a mess. And all it's going to take is I think what one did you just to say? Topple. What are you talking about? Some there, robot there's with dominoes robots that, that lay down dominoes. What are you talking about? I'll send you the YouTube link. It's that's fa- fascinating. There's this guy I, in California. I was not who's an engineer, expecting this. Okay, so okay, yeah, but yeah, I, there's, I, think I get the gist of it. There's a that's there's not a what lot of there's a lot of setup going on right now, and then there's okay, a lot of that things that could happen contingent on other okay. things, and you know, there's 
the Flames are still going to have to figure out their coaching staff for next year. I think it's there, there's there's going to be I think no shortage of things to to yeah, talk but, about over the next so little while. I want to go back to Hannafin though for a second, and and this is uh, you know more of a sign of my age than anything else. I'm I'm still kind of looking at it from a just a strictly positional and filling the need, not the dollars and anything like that. If you move out a, a defenseman like Hannafin, do you not have to find a top four defenseman to bring back? Not necessarily in that deal, but is that, that does that then become? To, to I mean, me, it seems it to me that that's what you need to do. I, the short answer is it depends because you know, right. if you're the Flames, like their top four last year is what Anderson, Hannafin, Uyghur, and Tanev, and then occasionally Nikita Zadorov, but he seems like he was better suited for the third yeah. pair. Yeah. So if, if you bring if you bring in Oliver Shillington back from Sweden, and that seems to be what's happening this off season, he's yeah. coming back. Yeah. Uh, a, I love Oliver Shillington. I think he's a great player. I think it's going to be challenging to throw him right in the top four. Yeah, I do too. So I think that how they manage that's going to be fascinating. But I think you know, they they speak they think very highly of Oliver Shillington as a player, and he's you know he's not quite Noah Hannafin, but he's not a gigantic drop off. And especially yeah. with how well like we saw we saw Weger and Anderson uh, for a good the last twenty games of the season, twenty five games of the regular season, and I thought that, you know, granted Anderson had been hit by a car, but even when, even with a, you know, tenderized yep. version of Rasmus Anderson, they were the plane's best pairing. And, yep. you know, a lot of that goes to Uyghur, but I think both of them really held, held up there in the bargain. And, you know, if you have an Anderson who's not uh, bruised to hell and is at a hundred percent and isn't dealing with having been hit by a car, that could be just a dynamite pairing. And having that kind of a pairing up top allows you to do other things with the other pairings that maybe you might not have been as comfortable as doing otherwise. So, so, so in it, honor of Mike Vernon going into the Hall of Fame, uh, let me ask you this. Um, does not part of the consideration need to be here who's going to shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, I, I think and can Anderson and Uyghur do that? I think they can, okay. but I think they're be- probably better suited for offensive generation. Yeah. Uh, I also think that, you know, until something happens to, you know, to tell me otherwise, like I thought Shillington and Tanev were a really good defensive oriented uh, group uh, when they were together. I think, especially with the way hand with the way Shillington skates, I yeah. think of all the players, regardless of position in the flames organization, yes. the guy who can best skate and defend positionally Connor McDavid is probably Oliver Shillington. Yeah. So I mean, it's a it's a, it's Which, not an ideal way to doing it. No, but. I I get it, and I I do feel a little bit um, odd talking about because I I just didn't watch enough of Oliver the last year. I paid more attention this year, so I didn't see him that much. And clearly, guys like guys like, but people like yourself who who did pay attention have watched him have a much higher. Uh, thought process on him that I, I guess I still think of him as the young guy that could skate like the wind, but had big defensive holes. Clearly he's been working on those and he's got to the national hockey league and he belongs. I want to see him again. I, I do feel like I'm giving him a little bit of a disservice by, you know, I don't quite see him there, but you do. And, and other people who I trust do. So I, I believe he's there. So yeah, his, his mobility is going to give him so much of a chance. And, yeah. you know, I think especially if he's, mentally where he wants to be you mm-hmm. know he's he's worked so hard to get to this level and i think the the thing that's really going to be exciting i think for for a lot of people is you know ryan huska has been a big big believer of 
of Oliver Shillington since yeah. he came in as an True. 18 year old. He's had him virtually his entire pro career at various levels and various yep. amounts yep. of time. That's right. And, you know, if I think I'm really curious to see if, you know, especially after a year apart, you know, Huska with fresh eyes and potentially Shillington with fresh eyes, can they figure out a way to unlock another gear in Shillington's game? Because mm-hmm. if, if he comes back and he's the same guy as before, that's, that's great. Cause I think him yeah. coming back and being a good second pairing guy, you can do a lot of things with that. If you can figure out, you know, especially to someone who's still potentially learning how to be an everyday NHLer, if you can figure out a way to get a little bit more out of him, then uh, I think they have some decent options ahead of them. But I agree with you. I think the, the I think the challenge is if you take out a really good left shot blue liner from your group, yeah, you need to replace him. You know, they 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 did with Mark Giordano. They replaced Mark Giordano in the aggregate, but they basically had to split up Mark Giordano's duties amongst three different guys. Yep. In order yeah. to make it work. Yeah. No, that's so true. I think they that's can make true. it work again. I mean, Husky was able to sort of chop up Giordano's duties into those kind of chunks and spread them out that way. And it worked out pretty well. So maybe he can do it again, but I think it's, it's going to be a tall order. If Hus- if uh, Hannafin ends up playing in a different sweater next year. So this is, this is a, a BS alert. This is a rumor alert. This is me trying to be funny alert. I do not want anybody uh, coming back and circling back and saying as heard on. So this is the part not to clip. This is the part not to clip. There's no chance Eric Carlson's coming here, right? I have no idea how the hell they fit him under the cap. Good. I, I, That's all I, I wanted to hear. That's all I wanted to hear. He fits him under the cap. I, I, yeah, mean, I know. You know, it's because I just read that again. That that that. Oh, that you know, Eric Carlson's going to be moved. Nor nor is trophy inevitable. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Carlson. But but and and when in the history of time would you have ever gotten uh, nervous about? you know, acquiring the reigning Norris Trophy winner, not a past Norris Trophy winner, the reigning. No, at no point in history would you have ever said, Ooh, we don't want that, but you don't want that. Not at that number. No, no. But again, I mean, you know, when, if, if Mark Giordano, instead of making six and change was making eight and change, nine and change when he won, I think we might've be having the same conversation because I think, yeah, I think okay. Seattle would have been as excited about getting Mark Giordano with his cap. It was a lot worse than it was. I don't know because of the implications of a new team and, and having space that they didn't have year two, right? If their whole idea was moving him at the deadline, which they did, maybe they didn't care. I don't know. But it's it's one one effect. It's again, it's the robot dropping dominoes on a floor. I'll send you the link, man. It's fascinating. No, I, sw- no, I trust you. Impli- I explicitly trust you. Um, Elias Lindholm. Stay or go? Do you do you do you does your flag blow in a certain way today? It feels like he's staying. Okay. I would think if he felt strongly about get me out of here, we it would have come out by now. A la Hannafin. Yeah, I don't even know if Hannafin's a, a strong get me out of here. Uh, I think the, no, the, the narrative phrase, has become that, but I think that's a fair point. We don't. I know think the that, yeah, I think the phraseology has basically been like you know he liked it, he likes the city, likes it here, kind of want to see what else is out there. Right. And, and teams I mean, were calling about him originally, right? Teams were calling. Teams, teams were probably still calling calling about him. I mean, yeah. if you think that you can get an Noah Hannafin, you know, I'd I'd call him. If nothing else, maybe Craig turns you on to something else that he wants to trade. Like what? Oh the goalie. The goalie? Oh huh? yes, the goalie. Oh yes, the goalie. Uh the goalie. Um having said that, um, I thought it was all quiet on the Calgary front and then Darren Drager. Kind of, and I think you glommed onto it yesterday, kind of in a, oh, by the way, uh, you know, watch uh, Hannafin 
Backland and, and Toffoli because they're all represented by the same group. Um, yeah. I thought, Backlund was, I thought Backlund was the next captain. I don't know. It depends. I, I think a lot of these things is, you know, it depends. Cause if you're, you know, if you're Elias Lindholm, you probably, you'd love to stick around, but if the team's going to be competitive and so you're kind of curious, okay, what moves are you going to make? Yeah. If you're Michael Backlund and you, you're 34 going on 35 and you haven't won anything yet, you're probably thinking the same thing. You know, I'd love to be captain, but I also love to win something. And, you know, to Foley, he's won. He probably would love to win again. Yeah. And, you know, there's, if you go down the line, I mean, all, you know, a lot of the guys who are probably pending UFAs, I mean, Chris Tanev hasn't won squat, probably would love to. Zadorov is, you know, he feels like he'd be a good piece of a team that, you know, has, has aspirations yeah. of doing something based on, you know, I, again, I, I don't, you know, don't mean this as a, as disparagement of Nikita Zadorov. He's a very good player. Uh, it, do you want him on your top four? Might be no. about the skis a bit. He's a great three who can play yeah. higher in the rotation. Which is yeah. a lot of teams don't have that. A lot of teams, no. I'm pretty sure, you know, depending why, on the why captain, is that insult? I don't think that's insulting. Is that insulting? I don't think that's insulting. I think it's yeah, a, hey, I think it's what it is. Pl there's plenty of there's plenty of uh, you know we 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 use the term you know not a first line center as sort of yeah. a a drag up player. There's gonna only be like you know in terms of like guys who be first line centers on any team in the league. There's maybe what a dozen. Maybe that that is my point, and that has been my point all along about Lindholm. That has been my point all along. There are not, there are, there are not, there aren't 32. There are 32 number one centers by designation. There are not 32 number one centers in the national hockey league. End of story. Yeah. End of story. But, yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough league. And I think, you know, it's as, as you always, what's the, the joke. It's always, it's just an honor to be nominated. I mean, I think that if you can make it, in the NHL and play enough games to get your pension, let yeah. alone at any position. I think it's a, it's a laudable achievement. Oh, it's and, a credit know. to you for sure. And then if you can play a good big role in a good team, I mean, you know, I, I remember I always, I always use Michael Backlund as an example of this. I mean, getting to your potential is tough and mm -hmm. Michael Backlund, you know, he, right last season, he was an excellent, excellent, excellent third line center on a team that was not very good. Uh, he's also been a really good second line center on good teams. He's, you know, I don't, I don't, I think if, you know, someone like Michael Backlund, regardless of his age, with just his playing style, if he's your first line center, you're probably going, uh, got some depth concerns. If he's playing anywhere, but your first line, if he's your second or third guy, that means that the guy or guys ahead of him are, are quite good. And, you know, it's all about, you know, Peter yeah. Labardius jokes about this all the time. He uses the term slotting. Some, some guys, if you slot them in the right spot can just be, really 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 good role players and you know the the toughest thing i think for for young people when they get into the nhl i mean you know you you, you grow up uh you know as as someone who who had those dreams but didn't have the hockey talent to back it up you grow up on ponds or your backyard dreaming of, of scoring the game-winning goal and over time yeah. the stanley Cup final and not a lot of guys probably dream of okay we need you to go out there and play like 45 seconds to wear down McDavid, just keep him mm -hmm. in the neutral zone and get him tired well, so we can bring out the guys who can score. It's funny you say that because two years ago, I thought Michael Backlund was exactly, exactly what he was projected to be in 2007 at the draft in Columbus. A second line, 200 foot playing center that can chip in offensively and will key and will be very responsible in his own end. That's what he was taught. And those aren't fun. You know, we're not. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Talking about him. We're talking about Kane. We're talking about Van Riemsdyk. We're talking about all these other guys because that's sexy. But at 24, wherever he was picked, he was ex- that's exactly what they said he could be. And that's exactly what he became. I I had a long chat with Backland about sort of how his his career trajectory, and I asked them, you know, when did you think you, you know you were becoming the player you wanted to be? And he sort of mentioned, I think it was a year that he was under Bob Hartley. He mentioned there's like a ten or twelve game span that he was on the he wasn't on the ice field goal against at all. Mm-hmm. That tells you a lot about what he values about being a player. Ex- no, exactly right. Um, listen, we're gonna you're gonna come back on Friday because stuff's happening. Um, but before you go, and I'm kicking you off now, cause I'm still trying to wrap my head around the dominoes in the machine. Um, <laughs> tell me what, because I mentioned it off the top, uh, nation flames, nation, all the nation networks, I believe are going to be in Nashville, but tell us a little bit about what we can expect next week. Oh Lord. Uh, let's see. Monday's the awards. Yeah. Uh, Michael Backlund speak of the devil is a, the one of the finalists for the King Clancy Memorial award right. uh, for uh, it's basically good guy on the ice, good guy off the ice mm-hmm. uh, award. Uh, then Tuesday, the GM meetings where uh, I believe they're going to also announce the, the NHL schedule on Tuesday okay. for the coming season. So we have, well, that'll be some reasonable big news. Uh, we'll get confirmation most likely on Tuesday of the salary cap number for next season. Okay. And uh, odds are we'll, a bunch of us will corner Craig Conroy and try to, Get, tell, get him to tell us all the secrets. Uh, Wednesday, round one of the draft. Uh, t- Thursday is rounds two through seven of the draft. And then Friday, as we're all sort of leaving town in various stages of being uh, just beat the hell by Na- by the city of Nashville, uh, you also have the, the last day of the buyout period and the deadline for qualifying offers. And again, qualifying offers, if there's teams that are up against the cap, you might see a lot of interesting players not get qualifying offers and become free agents. And then on Saturday, uh, Jerome McGinley's birthday and free agency. 
it will be busy. You will be a huge part of it. We will have you back. Thank you, sir. This was fun. It was, uh, I knew we were going to get the hall of fame. I didn't realize we were going to get great hall of fame news. I didn't expect Vernon, but I'm very excited. I really am too. I really am too. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. See you Friday. There you go. Ryan Pike, the managing editor of flames nation and robot domino playing enthusiast, uh, Brought to you, of course, by the Ski Cellar Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary, three, four locations in the winter. Uh, one location right now, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. Uh, we are expecting a visit from a dear friend, Dr. Tyler White, in a little while. With lots to talk about with Dr. White. Uh, but before then, as I said, uh, let's go back and revisit this. Um, Jack, you want to throw up the Frank clip or tweet i should say that talks about the hall of fame as uh this year's class which will be inducted uh coming up in november includes three goalies mike vernon is on that list peter marr and eric dehatchek were on the show last friday i believe both talked uh glowingly about vernon and um it's been a long conversation it's been a long time coming and i i have no problem i i you know i've I have thrown it out there before that he's a, you know, a guy that should be there. Henrik Lundqvist, I believe, is the only first ballot Hall of Famer on this list uh, from the NHL side. And and not surprised, King Henrik, um, he, he played in New York. He was an excellent goalie. I mean, to say he played in New York somehow takes away from his, um, you know, his accomplishments. Uh, he had international accomplishments. He made a Stanley Cup final, never won a cup. Um, but was, you know, an MVP, just an incredible. So he's first. Uh, first ballot, Tommy Barrasso. Um, I, I, it's been a while, like it's been a long time. Uh, Tommy was a huge part of the Pittsburgh Penguins teams that won in the early nineties. He was, as I mentioned before, right out of high school into Buffalo, a big uh, American goalie, um, put up some really strong numbers, uh, deserves to be there. Uh, wasn't a first ballot guy, um, but deserves to be there. Uh, Pierre Turgeon, um, you know, unfortunately for me, I, I, I still get nightmares of Turgeon getting, uh, whacked by a hunter in the, in the playoffs at Washington Islanders rivalry with something else. Uh, but Pierre Turgeon was a consistent score, a uh, very good score in an era that, that had the likes of Wayne Gretzky and, and more importantly, Mario Lemieux in his prime and, and some other really, you know, Brett Hall, that type of player, Pierre Turgeon was not them, but close really close. And I, I, he was, you know, not recently just because of, I think, I think the, um, recency bias is always, you know, we, we adapt our names and and change the names, but for a long time, you would always use Pierre Turgeon as an example of a big rangy center forward that could put up points and, and, you know, was very difficult to defend. Uh, we mentioned Mike Vernon, uh, Caroline Roulette, um, probably the well not probably is the youngest on this group but uh, her resume speaks for itself and is a no-brainer but I agree with I kind of agree with uh, Ryan not kind of I agree with Ryan well we'll, we've got to take off these artificial limits and stuff like that it's a hockey hall of fame so you know why one or two Kenny Hitchcock gets in as a builder Um, I think everybody my age or maybe a little bit younger uh, has a Ken Hitchcock story. Uh, growing up in Edmonton, he worked at um, United United Cycle, and I I he sharpened he sharpened my skates. 
uh, buddy that I went through with forestry school played triple uh, A in Sherwood park. He was his coach. Um, then he was in the NHL and to be around Ken Hitchcock was just some of the, you know, the terrific stories that came out of him and Kamloops and the Western league. And, um, you know, uh, he was kind enough to, to come on the show on many occasions. I remember that. Um, but it was always fun to visit a team on the road that Ken was coaching because his coach's availability on game day was always him sitting in a chair and everybody sitting around him. And it was BSing and you learn, you always learned something like there was a, a pecking order. Like, you know, he was more apt to, to look and talk to a, a Peter Marr and a Mike Rogers than, than he was, or Charlie Simmer than he was to me, but you learned something. And, and Hitch has had a, a great influence on the game up here. He had a great influence on the game in Dallas and, and some of his other stops, uh, Columbus and, and St. Louis. I, I know that's not all of them, but um, you know, and, and Pierre Lacroix, um, in the builder category. And, uh, of course, part of that Quebec and, and Colorado, um, avalanche organization that won a bunch of cups with Bob Hartley, um, you know, deservedly going into the hall of fame. No Alex McGilney. Um, this one, that's the one I think there's always one that seems to draw the ire of media and fans and, and, you know, and the, and the keepers of the game. Um, I think Alex Mogilny will be the one this year. I think a lot of people had Alex Mogilny, you know, signed, sealed and delivered. Um, and, and he deserves it. Uh, you know, there's lots of former players that have played with Alex um, and talk about his impact and how great a player he was. Um, I suspect he'll get in. Um, kind of like Mike Vernon in a way. I, um, I, I've always felt that Mike Vernon deserved to be in the hockey hall of fame. Um, you know, my reasons are my reasons, but you know, they are that, that he won and was successful in two eras of goaltending. And, and there's probably somebody out there who's, who's paid a little closer attention to it. Um, you know, and it would say maybe three eras of goaltending, but in 86, when he came in, and actually, in fairness, so did Tom Barrasso. Uh, goalies were standing up. Like, you know, uh, M- Mike Vernon was a battler. Like, he was not a big guy. He isn't a big guy now, but wasn't a big guy. But he fought like hell. And, you know, Peter Marr brought it up last week. His regular season, or was it Eric? One of them, anyway, on Friday brought it up. His regular season numbers, he was an all-star every once in a while, but you know, never a league leader in, in all kinds of statistical categories. But when it mattered, you know, it mattered. He, he was there. Um, I think you can make a really good case that in 1989, the Calgary Flames do not hoist the Stanley Cup in Montreal. By the way, the only visiting team ever to do that. If if Vernon doesn't stand on his head and spit wooden nickels against the Vancouver Canucks in the first round. And I know there are Canucks fans that don't want to hear about that series, that it's a curse series to them and all of those sort of things, but it went to seven and I can still remember glove saves by Mike Vernon battling saves by Mike Vernon. You know, he's down and out saves by Mike Vernon. He just, he did it all in that series except score. Uh, and that eventually propels the, the, the flames into the next round. And as we know, they win. Um, 
Al McKinnis wins a con Smythe that year. But, you know, Peter Marsh said his, in his understanding is it was by one vote. Could have easily been Mike Vernon. Well, fast forward almost a decade later in Detroit in a new era of hockey, the start of the dead puck era of hockey, but a new era of goaltending. And there's Vernon as the Conn Smythe Trophy winner for the, for, for the beginning of that dynasty for Scotty Bowman. Um, he's, he's a Calgary guy. Um, you know, I know he had a rough ride at times in this city with, you know, his parents being at the games and fans getting on him as they do with goalies. Um, but he's, you know, he's a businessman. He came back to Calgary. He's in Calgary. He's an active member of the Calgary Flames alumni. Um, it's a great story. You know, came back. I don't know about him coming back to the Flames part. I don't think that was as much fun for him in, in, being in Florida and coming back here. But uh, certainly at the the front end of his career, um, you know, you can close your eyes and see Mike Vernon making saves. Uh, I, I most of us can close our eyes and see Mika Kippersoff making saves. I think, I think Mika Kippersoff might have been a better goalie. He didn't win. Got to one Stanley Cup final. Vernon got to two with two different teams in two different eras. Kippersoff had those numbers. He had those gaudy numbers. You know, one of one of Vesna. Um, you know, was that all-star and, you know, Olympian and all of those sort of things, which, but I think if you, you have to process recency bias in there as well. And once you process recency bias, you know, maybe he wasn't the best, but, you know, the flames have been blessed to have two goalies, Vernon and Vernon and Fuhr in the eighties. And I guess you'd put, you know, a couple other guys, but I, I think when you look at the battle of Alberta, you know, two, two, two guys that played in their hometowns, or close to it in the case of, I, I think Grant was from Spruce Grove, but you know the point I'm trying to make. Both played in the Western League. Um, and both, you know, would get and and do. I, I, I have no idea for the life of me why people go after uh, Grant Fear. Well, I do have a, a theory on Grant Fear on, on Twitter and talk about all the goals he gave up. Well, the thing about Grant and Mike Vernon was they may have given up more goals than goalies do nowadays, but they never gave up the winning goals. They were winners. And it's really exciting to see Mike Vernon go into the hall of fame. Uh, we are live in the oodle noodle studio. Uh, hey, we're not just crazy about noodles. We put the same energy back into the community, two locations in the Calgary area. One's in Airdrie, 105 main street, North, and 1244 17th Avenue, right down the hill from us. Pickup and delivery. Um, very important day today, and I want to talk about that. And, and um, it gave me the opportunity to reach out to a friend of mine, and he was gracious enough to agree to do this. And I don't want to keep him on hold very long, so we'll let you know that our next guest is brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years, 76 years in Calgary. Uh, their location for the summer is McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. But don't worry, in the fall, when the snow starts falling, uh, they'll have four locations in town. Um, I am very proud of the relationship I have with our next guest, but in full dis uh, disclosure, I do want to let everybody know that we have worked quite closely on a number of projects, and I, I do work uh, with the First Nations Health Consortium, which he is the board chair, uh, but he's still the absolute perfect person to have on today. Today is National Indigenous Peoples Day, and we're very happy to have our friend, our good friend, Dr. Tyler White, 
from Siksika Health join us. Dr. White, how are you? Yes, good afternoon, brother. Doing well. Thank you. Well, and I appreciate this was kind of a little bit on my part, probably a little late invitation, but as I got thinking about it and listening to you on a podcast today, I, I heard a podcast you were on. Um, what amazed me is you were on a podcast just talking about the work that you're doing at Siksika Health and the work you're doing in the healthcare world. How much of your world is actually intersecting with sport? And I thought, you know what? Today's a good day. This is a really good day um, to bring you on. Um, obviously, you and I have a, a shared partnership um, with this project, and I wear it very, uh, very proudly. The Every Child Matters game with the Calgary Hitman, and I got the hat back there. Some other stuff that's pointed out. But Tyler, just build on that for a little bit because you are, if I'm not sure, you're still the only health um, organization in Canada that um, that has put. Uh, rec or sport and recreation under your umbrella. Is that correct? Yeah. Th thank you, Rob. And uh, good to be here on just a game. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I want to put that plug in first off and uh, I can see by, there we you go. know, the, the swag, you know, that it's <laughs> uh, unbelievable medallion that you have put together by one of our own gifted beaters, uh, Lucille Wright, just uh, the Jedi master of beating. Yes. You know? So, Thank you for, for supporting us and thank you for your friendship. And again, just acknowledge you for, you know, starting this new journey that you have and really glad to be here on, on your podcast um, and just share with you a little bit about what we're doing. And yeah, you're right. To my knowledge, we're one of the very few, if not the only organization that has this sports and recreation component uh, under a, a health organization. And you always talk about you know, the health benefits and, you know, trying to integrate these programs. Well, we've actually already done it, right? Um, whether it be First Nation, non-First Nation, federal, provincial government, we, we've actually established this. And we also have other, I guess, um, areas that to me are also just as equally important, like disabilities. Mm -hmm. We have the disabilities area under our organization. So I think we have an amazing platform to really elevate, I think, the profile, but I think also provide uh, much needed services uh, and be able to, you know, work alongside, you know, like-minded partners and other organizations that sort of value, you know, this sort of model that we're putting together. So we've been very fortunate to, to you know, have these great partners, whether it be universities, sports, industry, uh, but very blessed to be in this position. Thanks, Rob there is a like there's a real connection and importance when we talk about truth and reconciliation in sport too i know that many of us in in you know kind of in the in the colonized world or in in our world have just woken up here in the last couple of years to exactly what truth and reconciliation means but it's actually written directly in there right the re the, <laughs> the recommendations talk specifically about the importance and the need for sport and recreation yeah, there's a, you know, truth and reconciliation report that was undertaken and accepted by, you know, the government of Canada. And in this TRC report, they have some specific recommendations around sports. And again, you know, one of my mentors that, that I look up to was quite involved with this, uh, Grand Chief Dr. Willie Littlechild. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's someone that I, I hold in, in great regard. And um, he talks about not only the TRC, but also 
the impacts uh, of sports that has had on him and his life and, and him being a residential school survivor, uh, but also being able to play hockey in residential school. He talks about if I didn't play hockey in residential school, I probably wouldn't have made it through. Right. So again, I think, you know, you can definitely see uh, the importance of sports and uh, how um, relative it was for him to get through, you know, this experience and move forward, but also I think be a real leader and role model to others in terms of, you know, how you move forward and some of those challenges and barriers, but also how you overcome those challenges and barriers and come from almost a strength-based position. So I think these are, again, just some of the many friends that we've been able to have in our lives. And there are many others too, that I always reflect on with great fondness and, you know, just great uh, appreciation for, for the work that they've done and the road that they have, have mapped out because it hasn't been easy that there's a lot of heartache. Um, there's a lot of, you know, issues and challenges, but also at the same time, you know, the journey that they've been on, um, they, they've laid this sort of foundation for others to follow and to move forward in a good way. So I, I'm very thankful despite, you know, those difficult circumstances. Sport, you know, we can talk about sport in two different ways. One is obviously the the benefit of participation and and what it can give you. And you know, you and I are both on the same page. It's something that we want our kids to be involved in, need our kids to be involved in. But maybe one of the things that I've learned the most from you is the importance as well of uh, of role modeling and heroes and being able to share those with communities that just feel disconnected or don't feel like they're part of you know, a bigger family when it comes to the world of sport. Can you just talk a little bit about the importance of, of having the Calgary Hitman come out to Siksiko or, you know, you, you, you talked about having the Flames alumni out last week at the health fair. Can you just talk why that's important? Yeah, I think that's incredibly important. And uh, again, I think, you know, we're just coming off a uh, Stanley cup playoffs and whether folks liked it or not, I think that's one thing, but incredibly proud of the indigenous Mm -hmm. uh, players on these uh, teams, you know, uh, Montour and White Cloud, just incredible role models. So it's important, you know, representation matters. And it's important that, you know, our kids be able to see these uh, players and say, hey, we can we can do that. You know, there's opportunities there. And so it's with that in mind that I think about, you know, and I take us back to our relationship with the Calgary Hitmen. Yeah. And a little side story before I get into that. And I've told you this and you've kind of chuckled. I do. But, you know, people have asked me, you know, so why not, you know, the Flames or others? And I'm like, you know, for me, the hitmen um, were important for two reasons. Um, and, I, and I was able to see what other organizations were doing, some with success, some with not. But um, I, I really felt, okay, there's two people I really want to meet, you know, as I begin this roadmap, you know, with the Calgary Hitman. Uh, of course, obviously one was Brett the Hitman Hart being a big wrestling fan. I've been yeah. trying to connect with Brett for years and years. And finally, you know, last year we were able to bring Brett Hart out to our health fair and just, you know, amazing role model, you know, to be in this um, company of, of real greatness, you know. And it, it, it's interesting because not only did we, you know, have this, um, visit from Brett, but also uh, I actually got to know his family a lot better with his children. I actually have 
you know, an ongoing relationship with, with his children. So something, you know, you would never expect. Hmm. That's the first person. And the second person was Rob Kerr. <laughs> yeah. I used to always I listen to Rob on the play-by-play and this guy doing many things. I'm like, I got to meet this guy. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I, I want to see how he is and I want to see, you know, what, what, what makes this guy go. And, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure you know, because, you know, you've been, you know, the real fire behind the engine here. Uh, you, you've been a motivator, um, you've been a leader, and you've been a great supporter of us. So, you know, that, that to me, um, especially yourself, um, that relationship with the Calgary Hitman, I think was key, because I think you were able to be that link, uh, be open, you know, to understanding and be open to education, yep. be this, um, emissary, I guess, to other parts within the CSEC organization, right? And it, we had our challenges, of course, but at the same time, you know, what we've created was was absolutely beautiful. Um, I think, you know, we, we were able to do things that others uh, and had never been done before. So I'm very proud of the work we've done with the Hitmen, but that whole relationship started with ceremony. It wasn't Okay, let's get together. Let's, you know, check a box here. Yeah. Was it was none of that. We made sure we stayed away from this box checking, you know, yeah. and really building a relationship. So to me, that was key. Having that relationship, having a foundation of respect and trust and appreciation. I think those are, you know, those are the kind of fabrics that you need for any kind of healthy relationships. And so what we created was this safe space between our organizations. And it started with ceremony, started with understanding. So from there, you know, we created, of course, the, the Every Child Matters game, which I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed because I think the first year we ran that game, we lost out to another organization who had a dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, as, as oh, a, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's not a sore spot with me at all. <laughs> but, you know, we, we created the wonderful jerseys that I, I yeah. think are, the, you know, our top sellers. But you also see these jerseys as a lot of uh, social justice events. Like this morning, yeah. there was the recon reconciliation walk with the city of Calgary. Guess what was front and center was those jerseys, right? Yeah. And you see them across the country. And we have different friends of ours that come out and we gift these jerseys away to folks that, you know, just saying thank you. But they also talk about what does the jersey represent and what are all the intricacies of the jersey? So. This was a true collaboration. And again, you, my friend, we, you know, without your leadership, without your presence, I, I don't know how successful we would have been. Uh, but again, I think, you know, the results sort of speak for themselves. And I think you, you see the benefits of, you know, the, the, the players coming out to the games, yeah. but also how, you know, this relationship has evolved. I mean, we were able to share our public health expertise with the team during the COVID time, yep. we offered our, our, our guidance and um, understanding to, to the personnel and even, you know, offering, you know, some of the addictions training, the naloxone training to the players. And again, I think that resulted in actually saving a life here. Yeah, so when, when you, when you talk about that relationship and what that has turned into, I mean, it's quite significant. So yeah, I, I'm forever grateful of, what we started together with the Calgary Hitman. This could just this could just turn into the world's longest love-in because I, I would turn it back to you in the sense of 
you know, you talk about partnerships and, and, you know, early on when we came out and we're not even five years into this relationship, right? Like it was, it was October of 2018, the first time you and I ever met. And, you know, we came out with open ears and, and we wanted to, you know, we wanted to help, but you have this real neat ability to guide in the right way. And, and I, I use this example all the time. The thing I'm the proudest of is we moved away from these octopus games where, Hey, we're going to honor octopuses. So we'll wear an octopus practice Jersey and an octopus will sing the anthem and we'll show a video of an octopus. Good octopus day. It wasn't good enough. We needed to do more and we needed to use that platform. And you, and you had a nice way of, of pushing us in the right direction and eventually figured it out on our own that, you know, sport has this interesting way of opening up conversations and, and allowing people and, well, it, it seems like, oh, it, it's a little bit of a gimmick, perhaps putting a TP on the concourse at the Dome. The fact that there were elders there and people could come up and ask questions opens up a whole different dialogue. The fact that there was food in the test kitchen opens up a whole new dialogue. The fact that there were different types of dancers opens up a whole new dialogue. What I'm proudest of is, and there's only six original ideas, but everybody seems to have followed the path, Tyler, and and these these games these efforts seem to be more meaningful now than they were three years ago across the board yeah certainly you know we've been fortunate to i think create a formula or a blueprint for you know how you really should should move forward together you know in collaboration and partnership and yeah there's some learnings that we've had to go through on both sides i you mm-hmm. know but i i think the benefits and the results uh, to me, speak for themselves, you know, and just how important, you know, uh, some of those learnings were, you know, when I think about some of the things we've been able to share with the the organizations, Hitman, Flames, you know, we, we had a, a ceremony, you know, that to me is very special where we can offer ceremony to to players and organizations. And we had a ceremony out at our nation where we painted the, the faces of all the players. Yeah, and, and staff, and and to me that was quite significant. That you know we, we could create again the safe space, but also this trust and understanding. We didn't just do it; we explained the purpose, we explained the intent behind it, and everyone you know had come up you know in such a a loving way and, and an open way, right? So to me, that just demonstrates that you know we're doing this the right way. We're getting the support from all different levels, uh, and we're creating this pathway i think for others to follow you know i think it was last year we had the every child matters traditional powwow yeah at the saddle dome right one of the first i know the stampede you know has their powwow but you know it's it's different than a traditional powwow and i remember you know we had ten thousand people at this traditional powwow that's kind of unheard of yeah and we had a huge grand entry and um interesting enough our, our good friend chief uh dr willie Littlechild was there yes and we're coming into the grand entry and obviously we had key dignitaries make comments but we were walking together and um uh he he made a comment to to the crowd he said well you know so honored to be here bring greetings from treaty six etc but I've never seen so many oiler colors in the saddle dome, right? So that was that was a, an interesting way to break the ice. But yeah, some uh, things never die, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I think he, he always used to, and our friends used to always kind of rib me about, okay, when are the flames going to get on board here with 
your your efforts. And again, we're we're coming off uh, an incredible in, Indigenous celebration uh, game. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's the start of this relationship. It's the start of the process. It's not the end. So you know, incredibly proud. You know, to work with um, our friends like you know Brent Dodging Horse, who I have yep. so much respect for, and the work that he has done, and just taking you know those values and principles and beliefs and bringing them into a hockey game. And, and I always say what we're doing, you know, transcends hockey. It's, it's mm -hmm. way beyond hockey, you know, but it's so beautiful that we can share our culture, our songs, our dancing regalia, even our food with, with folks who maybe uh, don't have that same understanding. And it, we, we have this, again, this platform to, to, to use as an educational platform. So, again, you know, so excited and honored to, to be able to do that in a good way. Is it, has it made a difference? Is it making a difference? Will it make a difference? Because, again, I just reminded myself of the short period of time that, you know, we, we've known each other and, and some of this stuff has taken place. And sometimes it takes a while. But is, is, there, what's, is there value in this? Well... I always say there, there's no quick fix. You know, yep. there's no magic wand that you're going to wave and everything is going to, you know, be perfect. I think this takes time. Uh, this takes effort and energy. Uh, it also um, uh, it gives us some time to evaluate and review and, and see how we can strengthen different aspects of things. So I, I believe, you know, when I always talk about our events, I, I say, well, look at, you know, the results here. And look at, you know, what we've created together uh, and look at, you know, the education that's going on. Look at how this is influencing, I think, other teams and other organizations, even government. It, when, when I get a chance to sit down with ministers, whether it be federally or provincially, one of the very first things they always ask me <laughs> is about the work we're doing, you know, with the, the Calgary Flames, the Calgary Hitmen, CSEC, and, and, and the different areas like I think one of the things that I'm also moving towards, and again, I think, you know, I feel that we're doing the creator's work here. Mm -hmm. One of the areas that I'm feeling being drawn into and we're moving towards is, you know, um, being more inclusive, yeah. you know, and again, I, I think uh, during COVID, I, I sat on the Calgary Adaptive Hub board as a volunteer. That was so meaningful and important for me to educate myself, but also... <clears throat> how I can support and, and help others. And so, you know, we're doing things now with other teams like lacrosse barriers, you know, with Dr. David Leg at MRU, the yep. things that he's doing over there. So these are things that to me um, show value and show results and show a kind of a way forward. And, and so I'm incredibly proud of, of that. I think the journey still continues. Um, and I'm hoping that others also come on board and, and join us and, and take things forward uh, in, in other ways, too. And I think that's the intention. And I'm excited because, as you know, we also have a, a very special, you know, group of, of young leaders on our nation called SN7. Yes. And, you know, they're, um, you know, they're youth ambassadors and peer to peer groups. And so, again, I think, you know, hopefully they can take on this um this this mantra and 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 move things forward for us um i look i look last week um this is an important month it's an important day 
I look at last week, uh, two teams, Calgary Surge, the Edmonton Stingers, both in the CBL, had um, uh, First Nations Indigenous games. Uh, tip of the hat to um, Edmonton because they had the game done in Cree. Hmm. wonder where I heard that before. Um, we were there. We've done it. I mean, we'll get it with the Surge too. But um, months, months like this help? Days like this help? Or is, is tomorrow the more important day? Is July the more important month? Well, I'm, I'm glad that we can recognize Indigenous Peoples Day, and that's important. But to me, you know, Indigenous People Day is today and every day, mm-hmm. you know, and I think everyone has a responsibility. Um, and I think if we can, you know, do this through sports and, and our, our collective work together, um, I think that's um, really a, a pathway forward. And again, you know, we have some incredible role models out there that have, you know, laid the pathway down and, you know, really honored to sort of take on, you know, that kind of work in a special way. Um, I think I, I was telling you recently about a, a invitation I received from our, our good friend, Billy Mills, you know? Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and, you know, his story and his experience is just amazing. So, if, you know, your viewers get a chance to Google Billy Mills, please uh, do that. And there's a movie about him. And, of course, he's, you know, won a gold in the 66 Tokyo Games at the 10,000. He's the only one ever to do it um, in this hemisphere anyways. And but again, as an Indigenous person, just all of the experiences and the challenges that he went through uh, at, as, a, as an All-American uh, at Kansas uh, University, uh, and again, they have these uh, yearly uh, group pictures with all the All-Americans. And But he wasn't allowed to be in the pictures because he was a Native American. That's what he was told. You know, and, and so that led to other things for him. He, he became suicidal. Uh, fortunately enough, he was able to move forward and, and persevere uh, and eventually get to the, to the Olympics and, you know, where he won a gold medal. And... You know, just we're just so incredibly proud of the relationship we have with Billy Mills and Pat Mills. And so we were in, we were invited recently out to the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs. And Billy, you know, didn't say a whole heck of a lot. He just said, hey, Tyler, we're out this way. You guys want to come and visit us? And again, it's getting like a call from the president, right? You, you don't refuse <laughs> you go. those kind of calls. No, Absolutely. And so we went out there and it's just beautiful territory. And this, um, this U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame Museum um, is brand new. I think it was two years old. And uh, he had asked me if I would be a patron to the artwork that the U.S. Olympic Committee um, um, commissioned uh, his wife, Pat Mills, to do. And so that was a complete honor. And so we arrive at the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame Museum. And then he asked me to speak. And so these are, you know, gold medalists. These are mm-hmm. Olympians. And I'm just, you know, really just uh, was unexpected, uh, but quite an honor to address the Olympians and say a few words about the Blackfoot Confederacy and my role, uh, but also the relationship. And then uh, again, being asked to be a patron of the artwork. And so we unveil the artwork together, just a magnificent piece. And and now, you know, it's getting ready to be placed in the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame Museum. And so one of our mutual friends, you know, Steve Mesler, who is yep. the CEO of Classroom Champions and yep. 
his bobsled is in the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame from 2010. Night train. Uh, I met, <laughs> night train. And I mentioned to Steve, well, Steve, you and I are, are in the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame, kind of. <laughs> so, you know, just just a, a, a huge honor for me and my family and um, just for, for, for the rest of my family to participate in that was just very unexpected, but a huge honor. And you see these kind of leaders be able to again go through some of those difficult experiences and, you know, be able to move forward and be able to educate and share his message on what he went through and the possibilities. I think, you know, again, we have to give our youth hope. Mm-hmm. We have to empower them. We have to inspire them. So mm-hmm. when I think about Billy and some of our friends like that, those are the things that come to mind. Um, very much so. But why was it important for you to do that? I mean, somebody else could have done it. Somebody else, some American could have stepped up and, and got the painting done. Why was it important for you, Tyler? Well, I, I think, you know, that that's a good question. And I, again, when you get asked from a, a Billy and Pat Mills to come and visit, you know, you don't question that, you know, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it was based on the relationship that we've had for, for quite some time. And they've been able to come out as friends of ours and, and speak to our community and, and come and, and tour in the area. And so they've been able to see firsthand some of the work we've been able to do. And I think it, it, it was significant of them uh, that they were able to witness this, but also just building this relationship that we have together. And so, again, um, such a, a special honor and for them to, to ask me, I, I think, you know, you probably have to ask them wh- why they chose me. They could have chosen anybody, anyone else. And when, when I when I went to the one of the galas of the, the Hall of Fame, I mean, all of the Olympians were coming to Billy. Yeah. You know, like Billy was this, you know, was the main draw. And there, there was hundreds of, of Olympians in this gala. And so, you know, just uh, a high honor. It's something that um, is a highlight for me and something that I certainly will never forget, but also certainly something that I will pass on and, you know, acknowledge others as, as we move forward. Um, I mentioned it. Uh, we were out last week at the health fair today, uh, Sika Health Fair, which w- w- this was year number 20... 21. 21. Um, an annual event. But it's not, don't, whatever you think a health fair is, that's not what this is. I mean, this, <laughs> this, this had so many. So I'll ask you one real health related question. Then I want to really ask you what I want to ask you. But tell me about the health, um, the health machine, um, not the health machine, but the, the device that you had out there uh, that yeah. looked like a vending machine. This, <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's our uh, health box. That's what it was, yeah. Yes, and it's a partnership we have with the University of Toronto, Dr. Sean O'Rourke, and Health Canada, Dr. Chris Serene, who's the medical officer of health. But I actually had been looking into this uh, for for a little bit now. I had seen these, they're harm reduction vending machines. That's exactly what they used for. Okay. And I had seen them on some of the campuses and universities in the in the states and in, in UCLA, USC, and I'm like, okay, you know, it, obviously, you know, we have challenges and issues around mm-hmm. uh, addictions, um, and it's not meant to solve everything, but it's it's a tool 
in the toolbox, you know, so I'm like, okay, let's, let's research this. Let's create those partnerships and let's have one of these units at Siksika. And so this is probably one of the very first, you know, uh, health boxes probably in Western Canada. Wow. Uh, never mind First Nation, but non-First Nation. And so uh, we wanted to set it up at the health fair and, you know, it, it contains all these harm reduction um, tools and equipment, w- whether it be naloxone kits and other things, um, masks, uh, gloves, tubes, granola bars, just everything you can think of to certainly support, you know, those that are going through some some challenging times but do it in a way that um, is, is not drawing uh, attention, not, you know, casting any judgment, you know? Yeah. And so it, it's a new concept for sure. Uh, and again, uh, one of the, one of the items that they were stocking this with, and they were asking me, you know, what should be in there? And, you know, one of the questions was, well, you know, Tyler, the items we want to put in there, one is this, you know, flavored, condoms and flavored lube and I'm like i'm like <laughs> i didn't know how to answer that right <laughs> i mean <laughs> that yeah <laughs> and i'm, I'm sorry like, what <laughs> l- let me uh, ask our community health nurse <laughs> for, <laughs> for guidance around that and so you know our, our team uh, really got excited by yeah. you know this this health box and again we wanted to display it in a prominent place at the health fair so our, our people can Again, you know, have some understanding of, of the purpose, and we'll use the the, the month, uh, the summer months, to educate, you know, customize, create more awareness, and promote it. And then we'll deploy it in the fall in key locations in the community. Could be at our high school, could mm-hmm. be at our homeless shelter. You know, right. we're assessing that as we move forward. But again, I think there there are so many, you know, functions within the system and. Again, we have our folks can come to our website to get a real in-depth profile of the health box, but we're very excited to have it, Rob. And you were talking that you might actually, this might be kind of a meeting of new and old in the sense that you might put some traditional um, medicines in there and, and, and remedies. Yeah, I, I think that that's the other aspect of this is that we can customize these health boxes to really meet the needs of the community. Um and one of the things that I, I thought about that we would add in there would be some perhaps traditional medicines, mm-hmm. you know, and that can come in different forms. And obviously we'll get, uh, we'll consult and we'll get guidance yep. from our elders and traditional leaders and ceremonialists. But I think, again, the more that the community can own this and, and be familiar with it, I think the more success we're going to have. Mentioned the health fair uh, and it had, you, it had a real sports flavor to it. You had the Hitman there. You had the Calgary Surge there. You had Calgary Minor Soccer there. You had, um, uh, is it, I, I mix it up all the time. Is it Brother Skateboards? Cousin uh, Skateboards. Cousin Skateboards. Uh, they were there. Uh, the Flames alumni were there. And pro wrestling. Pretty sure that you were the only health fair in North America that featured pro wrestling. Why was it important to have a couple of boats at the health fair. Well, again, we, we had our, our hall of famer who, who was MC in both events. I want to thank <laughs> yeah, you, Rob, yeah. for, uh, you know, not only bringing, you know, the Calgary flames alumni who were a huge hit for the community, yeah, but also, you know, MC in the, the dungeon wrestling uh, uh, exhibition matches. And I think both were huge draws, right? I think, Oh yeah. 
when I thought, when I started thinking about the health fair years ago, I'm like, you know, we have issues of STD and addictions and teen pregnancy, and not everyone necessarily wants to talk about those important things. So mm -hmm. how am I going to create, you know, energy and a place where people can come in and we can draw them in and then we can talk about those things. So I, <clears throat> I started using sort of the sports and maybe even the entertainment area as a, as a means to do this. And so now you have this very unique uh, setup of our health fair where you have sports, you have entertainment, you have different elements to draw, you know, people into the health fair and then get them into the booths. Like we had 70 booths at the health fair. Yep. It's a far cry from when I first started, we had six tables. Yep. That was the first health fair. And, you know, it, it also just reflects the vast network that we have within the organization and how we develop these over time. And so, you know, having our friends from Dungeon Wrestling, Dallas Hart, and of course, um, his father, Bret Hart, who was very supportive of us and, and what we're doing together. I think those elements, uh, including the Calgary Flames alumni, again, were huge draws for the community. Um, I was sitting with, you know, our guest of honor, Cindy Blackstock, Dr. Yep. Cindy Blackstock. Yep. And um, you were in the ring and you were organizing things. And then somebody said, ring the bell. <laughs> and Cindy had this, you know, steel you know, weapon in her hand. Oh. And I'm like, Cindy, ring it. And so she starts <laughs> ringing the hell out of this. Bell, right. And, and so, you know, we, we had it all in there. Right. And, but I think, you know, I was looking to the crowd. And just during the wrestling match, everybody oh. was so captivated and oh, drawn into were, it, right? Absolutely. It was incredible. It was really, absolutely, it was the hit. Like, it was all a hit, right? It was fantastic. Yeah, so these are things we're, again, grateful that the community couldn't come in. And, like, for me personally, professionally, um, it's the kids. Like, when I see our students come in, junior high, elementary, high school, um, that to me is so significant. You know, we had our friend Lisa Bose who did a reading right. for the elementary elementary kids, you know, the very first day. So I think just trying to connect all those dots, right? So we're, we're trying to connect all these dots that are massive when you think about health and wellness. And so for me, it's about connecting those dots. And again, you know, the results sort of speak for themselves. And I, I think we have you know, upcoming events that I, I think are, are equally as important. So just honored that, you know, folks were able to tune in and we had a lot of technology that we were showcasing at the event as well. So we had a virtual a tour of our new long-term care facility that people were able to put on the goggles and actually walk through the building. So, so uh, fascinating. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Uh, what you're able to accomplish and to go from six tables to what it was. And I, I forgot to mention the crossing borders was there, the adapted hub. There was lots of sport to it. And, and I, I love that, that it's got to be part of health and you, you're the the leader in that. Um, I texted you last night, these words, we're not done. We need, we, we got more to do. Um, what's next, Tyler, where do we go? How do we keep moving forward here? How do we keep building bridges and, and doing it the right way? Well, I think it's, you know, opportunities, you know, like what you're doing with your podcast, just a game, I think getting that message out. And I think, you know, having, you know, events where we can invite people to come in, you know, to our community or get an opportunity to go out, you know, to industry and, and other places where we can, you know, share our message, you know, like I'm, I'm very, um, 
you know, pleased to see the work that, you know, Jason Ribeiro is doing with the Calgary Surge. You know, he, he's doing things the right way mm-hmm. by getting the community involved, you know, and we hosted him uh, and the group, you know, not too long ago for a very special ceremony. And, you know, we also unveiled the mascot where the mascot had come out at one of our invitational basketball tournaments and did, you know, was doing the chicken dance. Yeah, <laughs> you the know, traditional, so... not the one made famous by the Emeralds. <laughs> the tradition, yeah, exactly. Thank you. And we had one of our traditional dancers, you yeah. know, in the in the uniform, right? So I, I think, you know, just continuing on the same path, continuing, you know, to do the same work that we're doing, and bringing more and more partners uh, in place here. And I think, you know, as you and I know, you know, I always tell you, Robbie, you know, there's no such thing as a dumb question. There's no such thing as, uh, uh, you know, concerns or or issues. You can ask me anything. And I think, you know, just continually building that relationship. And again, I think we've started it. I'm hoping that others also take the opportunity to continue to move us forward. And you're beginning to see that in different areas. So I'm, I'm very excited by that. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I always hold you and, and Six Sigma Health up in, in praise as best in, in class. Like, I mean, you just talked about the health box. It's the first in Western Canada. This this isn't, you know, the South Health Campus or anything like that. It, you guys are cutting edge. But I think a lot of other groups, a lot of other communities, a lot of other um, nations, but also new new Canadians are are looking at, at the way that you you do collaboration and do partnerships. And today's an important day. Sports is very important to us. And I'll, I'll close by the fact that we're also living through a, a mental health crisis. And that's such a huge part of the intention of what you're doing and the intention of what sport can do too, that, you know, again, just further to me cements what you're doing is the right way that sport and recreation should be part of the health. Uh, that well, is we have that conversation well thank you for you know recognizing and acknowledging that and you know y- yesterday I, I sent you a picture of the the floods of you know 2013 yeah and we're coming up on this 10th anniversary you know of devastation for, for us all uh, but in particular this one shot was of our nation where it was you know had wiped out you know probably 200 homes but there was teepees still peeking through the top of this flood, you know? And so to me that, you know, despite the devastation, the sadness, the tragedy, it shows the the strength and the resilience of our nation. And so those are things that, you know, give me hope. Um, And I think, you know, there's some opportunities to to learn from those experiences. And again, I wanna just thank you for for the opportunity to have this conversation today. And again, Robbie, just wanna wish you and your team all the best here. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're on a journey as well, mm. and it's an important journey. And we may not have all the answers. We not, may not know. But I think, again, as I always say, you know, you're doing the creator's work, and it's important work. So I want to congratulate you, Rob, and, and what you're doing and just encourage you to keep going. Well, I appreciate that, uh, my brother. Um, no bigger influence than than you. And and I'd you know, be remiss if we you mentioned his name before, but, you know, Brent Dodging Horse, I can't think of two guys that have meant more to me in the last couple of years and kind of opened my eyes. Because uh, I, sometimes I think that it's too easy to take these hard conversations and, and compartmentalize them and, and kind of almost minimize them when it re- really it's about listening. Really, if you just listen. Um, 
you'll hear things and, and we can all be in this together. Um, so thank you. And before I let you go, thought on Mike Vernon getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame? Wow, just incredible. So happy to, to have Vernon get in there. And I had the privilege of also, you know, meeting his brother at one of our games. And we sat there and had many conversations. So just incredibly proud of, of Mike Vernon. And again, hopefully we get an opportunity to cross paths and just want to offer our support on behalf of, of our nation. So thank you again, Rob, for today and uh, look forward to future conversations. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. Bye. Dr. Tyler White, our guest, uh, CEO of Siksika Health, uh, chairman of the uh, First Na- uh, pardon me, board chair for the First Nations Health Consortium and uh, one of my dear friends. And I, I again, Tyler has taught me so much in such a short period of time. Brent Dodging Horse, who was on this program a couple of months ago, has taught me so much in this time. It is uh, National Indigenous Peoples Day, um, but I think tomorrow is more important than the next day. And I really do believe, um, at least in my path, that what I've learned from Tyler, uh, I can take in other communities and help other communities. And and um, just, I, I say all the time, best in class. Like, I don't think people appreciate how good Siksika Health is, Big Stone Health up north, Muscatchees. There's some <laughs> really talented um, First Nations leaders and people and technicians and doctors and um, the same thing. We've got new Canadians that are coming over that are making a difference. We have some institutional issues that we need to get past. We really do. Um, but we're better together. We're better and stronger together. Uh, of course, brought to you by our guest, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary, three, uh, four locations, but one, one in the summer, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. We know this to be a fact. It snowed yesterday and the day before in the mountains not saying they're opening the ski hills but it did snow which should get you thinking about your next set of skis or your next snowboard or your bindings or your or your gloves or your helmet or your or your bindings go down and check them out ski seller snowboard ski seller snowboard.com uh time for the final mile um a lot actually uh, we are 10 years 10 years from the flood and i don't wish to i guess i shouldn't have said it that way because i'm not making light of it um there's a look at the dome thanks to our pal rick tulsi put up some pictures uh where were you 10 years ago and we were uh all reminiscing about this i was i guess it was a summer break for me at sportsnet but the flames had hired me to go to the draft so i was in new jersey in the draft um, and on this particular day, 10 years ago, the draft was the weekend and there was really nothing to do. And, and Carlo and his crew didn't need me. So I kind of had a, a slow day and I bumped into one Ken King. So Ken, uh, was nothing to do was meetings, scouting meetings and everything. And we're in Jersey city, New Jersey, um, because the draft was in Newark and we had nothing to do. So we went out for lunch. Well, lo and behold, um, the place we went for lunch was a Cuban place that had a cigar bar upstairs. And Ken said, let's go upstairs. So Ken and I went upstairs. Uh, Ken proceeded to select two very fine Cuban cigars or cigars. I don't know if they're Cuban cigars. I wouldn't know. Two fine cigars and uh, handed one to me. Um, I had uh, previously 
uh, smoked a couple of cigars during championship runs uh, in the SJHL and the ACAC, but I was not a regular smoker. Um, I proceeded to make Mr. King laugh because uh, it was very uh, awkward watching me chew the end, trying to get the end off of the cigar so that I could properly smoke it. Uh, when he finally relented and helped me out, um, we sat there, he had a drink and I had a diet Coke and, and we were smoking our cigars and eh, we decided to go for a walk. Uh, so Ken and I, and there is no real end story. To, there, there, there's no ending to this story other than 10 years ago, I walked around Jersey city smoking cigars with Ken King. And we talked about everything. We talked about the devastation. We talked about the rebuild. We talked about the new building that was coming. We talked about the flames. We talked about Vinny LeCavier and whether or not Jay Feaster could get him. Uh, we talked about a lot. And of course, this is the draft, which the flames had three first round picks and got Sean Monahan. Uh, but 10 years ago, I walked around Jersey City smoking cigars with Ken King. So I will always remember and always cherish that memory uh, of my dear friend, Mr. King, uh, who was, uh, again, I, I think I put this out when he passed away. Uh, Ken King never told you what you wanted to hear. Ken King always told you what he thought you needed to hear. And I had some really challenging conversations with that guy. And maybe one day I'll talk about him, like challenging conversations about that. Like he cut to the bone conversations, but also spent this incredible day smoking a cigar with Ken King walking around Jersey City. So there you go, 10 years ago. Um, finally, if you want to help, um, we need some volunteers. This came across my desk today. Um, we, uh, as we mentioned, we are getting a lot of new Canadians. Um, and, um, uh, one of my friends, uh, Marion Christensen reached out today. They need people to befriend refugee families. This is a, she said 12 month commitment. Um, but they need people to spend time, you know, with these new families that are coming in from the Ukraine that are coming in from Syria and Somalia, uh, Sudan, Afghanistan, they need volunteers. Um, so you can see the information at the bottom there, uh, ccisab.ca slash ccnvolunteer. I'll post this on my social media in a little while, but I just thought I would throw it out. You guys have been terrific. You guys have been incredible. You guys have been a lot of fun um, throughout all of this. But whenever there's been a call to action or I brought up a community thing, uh, you guys are always there. So I thought I would share this today. If this is something you and your family want to do or interested to do, would like to do or know somebody who would, Please pass it along on our behalf. We only make our city better by reaching out to those who are coming to us uh, for safety and, and to live with us. Um, congratulations to the Hockey Hall of Fame class that went in that includes Mike Vernon, uh, that includes Pierre Turgeon, that includes Henrik Lundqvist, that includes Tom Barrasso, uh, that includes Caroline Ouellette, uh, Ken Hitchcock, and Pierre Lacroix. So no Alex Mogilny. But I'm ecstatic about this group, ecstatic about this group. Uh, we're going to do this same show on Friday, except it'll be different. Uh, by then, uh, we demand that there be trades in the National Hockey League to discuss. Uh, that is our demand as we go off the air today. We demand trades be made. Uh, next Monday, I can tell you about next Monday's show. Mike Morreale, the former CFL All-Star and uh, uh, just outstanding Canadian, with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, is now the president of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. He will join us on the show. And then from then on that week, it's going to be all hockey all the time. And I dare say, likely all local hockey heroes all the time. Thanks to RJ. Thanks to Jack. Thanks to you. Thanks to Ryan. Thanks to Dr. White. It's been a lot of fun. 
A little bit of a longer show today. That's all right. Take five out of petty cash. You'll be okay. We'll see you on Friday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.